You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Devings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 269 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings, and not joining me in the PTUK studios this week is Matt Smith. Matt is unfortunately uh, off having uh, a jolly at a wedding uh, somewhere in the UK. Ooh. And uh, I must say, I'm sorry, well, I say sorry to say for the bride and groom, it's been a really grim and grotty day here in the UK. Not been very nice at all, considering the really nice weather we've had in the last kind of uh, five or six days. And luckily we had good weather for Duxford last Sunday, which was great. So also joining me this week via the realms of the internet is uh, the second co-host on the show for tonight's show. It is the, well, he's the man who puts the, the tech in AV. It's Neville Bounds. Hello, everybody. Great to be back again. And I'm still peeling somewhat from uh, last Sunday where I failed to apply any uh, sun cream. And I think a few of us were in that boat as well, weren't we, Carlos? But uh, we'll mm-hmm. talk more about that later on. But it was a great day. The weather could not have been better. It was fantastic, wasn't it? So how's your uh, week been then? Have you been uh, oh, obviously cleaning the uh, banana and stuff? Yeah. Well, yes, obviously, that's uh, that's all I do. Uh, and um, yeah, busy week was at an exhibition yesterday, and went to an evening event as well yesterday. So yeah, lots going on, and um, got a couple of days off next week, which I will need to recover from it all. Uh, but yeah, all good, and uh, yeah, looking forward to another great show tonight. So I'm t- guessing the order's uh, already gone through for the new uh, banana, Nev. It has, yes. The the uh, company confirmed it this week. Uh, I don't know when I'm going to see it, though. I think it's going to be at least the back end of July or start of August. But uh, it'll be a very similar colour, uh, as you would expect. Excellent. Well, joining us this week as well, our other awesome ho- co-host of the show. And uh, he's the guy who puts the I in ILS. It's Armando. <laughs> Ah, uh, that's awesome. Every week is an adventure, Carlos. <laughs> How are you? Hey, everybody. I'm, I'm super glad to be back this week again. I'm incredibly upset that I did not make a surprise appearance at Duxford. Uh, I wish Dr. Steph could have carried me in her luggage or something like that. Maybe she could have splurged for an extra ticket, but uh, I didn't even get a chance to call in and, and video chat because it was Mother's Day and we had a Mother's Day brunch here. So. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Mother's Day, bro. You got to look after the mums. That's the most important thing. So, how's your week been, Armando? Any uh, any flying around the uh, mean skies of the US? No, uh, not a lot of flying at all. Uh, the weather's been kind of um, it's been okay, so so. But um, yeah, no, not not a lot. Maybe next week. I'm trying to get up in the air with Civil Air Patrol a couple times to do some uh, training on that G1000. That sounds good. Good. I wish I'd come over and join you. So uh, we've got loads to get through this week in the show. Uh, coming up later, we've got uh, the second instalment of uh, Armando's great uh, video interview that he take, uh, took with uh, this week. It's a, it's a WC-130J. Am I right, Armando? 
That's it. You got it. It's uh, WC-130J Hurricane Hunters. Yeah, so we've got that coming up. And we've also got uh, two special uh, videos that were taken uh, at Duxford on Sunday, which uh, are pretty awesome, introducing all the people who, who came to see us on the day. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was fantastic. So uh, on that note, actually, guys and girls, big thanks to everyone who did come and see us uh, on Sunday. We had a really, really good day. The, the weather was really good. Um, all the flights, uh, everyone who flew in managed to get in okay. And uh, we, uh, we're safe to say we had a good walk around the, uh, the, the whole of the museum. And uh, I think there was a lot of aviation chat uh, during the day, Nev. Yeah, there was. And um, it, was, uh, it, it just amazes me how big that site is at Duxford. It's absolutely enormous and uh, probably take a couple of days to get around it properly. But uh, it was actually quite nice to go there on a day when there wasn't an air show because there's a lot more room to move around. Uh, there's still plenty to do. There's, there's no shortage of that at all. But it was, it was really great. And uh, we've got some great video to show you a bit later on. Yes, so we're going to say a big thanks to everyone who has joined us this week in the YouTube chat room. All the usual family members in there tonight, including who we've got in there this week. We have got uh, Richard Adams. Hello to you, Richard Adams. John Jester, Tanya W. Hello to you, Tanya. Uh, Neil Lamborn is also in the chat room. Rick Bell. Hello to you, Rick Bell. Uh, Matt Smith. Someone, oh, I think we know Matt. I see. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Ivey, hello to you, Stephen Ivey. John Picard, hello to you. Chris Griggs, uh, underwater chap. He's also in the chat room as well tonight. Graham Haley, hello to you, Graham. Uh, James Candraw, hello to you, James. Hope you're having a good night. So thanks to everyone who's joined us uh, in the live YouTube chat room this evening. So I suppose we better get on with some aviation news, guys and girls. So we are going to start the show then as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Nev. Yes, I am. And if you're ready, Armando. I am ready to go. <laughs> Best laid plans and all that. That was <laughs> that was a mixture. That was me, I think. Didn't hit the reset button. But there we go. We're, we're here. We're here. Don't panic. Don't panic. Matt's sitting there now thinking, oh, God, blimey. So this week's first news story, and uh, it is on the ttgmedia.com website. And uh, it's regarding an airline we talked about a few weeks ago. Thomas Cook confirms multiple bids for airline business. So Thomas Cook has confirmed it has received multiple bids for for all or part of its group airline, which put it put up for sale in February. Uh, in a trading update on Thursday, uh, Thomas Cook said it was making good progress on its strategy on differentiation, which includes selling its airline business. Uh, Cook set a 7th of May deadline for expressions of interest with Virgin Atlantic, Lufthansa Group and private equity investor and Wizair backer Indigo Partners understood to be interested in the deal. The operator declined to comment on the specifics of any of the bids other than to confirm that they concerned both or all parts of the airline business. It was also confirmed Cook had agreed £300 million worth uh, winter 2019-2020 li uh, liquidity buffer with its lenders to give it financial headroom in the event of an, any undue winter or winter pressures. However, its availability said uh, Thomas Cook is principally dependent on progress in executing the strategic review of the group airline, meaning it's likely Thomas Cook must either complete a sale or, or 
of all or part of the airline before the winter or at least make a demonstrable progress on the pro, uh, process to assess uh, the cash. They said that we are currently assessing the bids received, including for the hull and parts of the group airline, said Thomas Cook. We also consider all options to enhance value to shareholders and intensify our strategic focus and will provide an update on this progress in due course. So Peter Frankhauser, Cook's uh, chief executive, added that he can't say much more, but they're pleased with the progress that they've made. Uh, we've also received multiple bids. They are creditable bids, but will not comment on any names. Thomas Cook's uh, airline will operate 105 aircraft this summer, excluding any wet leases. And its first half results announcement on Thursday revealed the business took a £1 million hit in external advisor costs arising from the group airline preparing for hard Brexit. This month, speculation has surrounded likely bidders for all or part of the group airline. Lufthansa boss, uh, Carsten Spur, confirmed a bid for Cook's German airline Condor with an option to extend this to the group's UK airline. Virgin Atlantic, meanwhile, has been linked with a bid for Cook's long-haul operation at Manchester and Gatwick and a seasonally at Glasgow, which would complement its existing operations at Manchester and Gatwick. And TUI, uh, as announced its first half results on Wednesday, has ruled out a bid for the Cook's airline business. Now, Thomas Cook have been going for quite a few years now, haven't they, Nev? And um, mm. it'd be interesting to see what happens when someone does bid and take this airline on, whether they'll keep um, keep the name. I'm always a bit nervous with these sorts of stories because although they're obviously trying to make uh, what they can from it, uh, some of these things never end well, do they? Um, mm. So we'll have to see. And of course, they've been so successful in that inclusive tour package for for so many years now. Yeah. Um, but I'm just wondering, is, is the market a bit saturated with it? But uh, we'll have to see. And it, it all depends on, um, you know, fuel costs and all this kind of business as to how viable the whole thing is. But uh, we'll have to see. There's, there's going to be a lot more on that story, I think, coming up. Yeah. So the next story, Nev, is... Uh... Well, it's obviously it's obviously going to be a BA story for you. Hmm. It is. It's on the jpost.com. And uh, it says that uh, British Airways is going to make Israel one of its first Airbus A350 destinations. Uh, and uh, BA's choice uh, to make its Israel route one of the first lines in which the plane will operate is an expression of confidence by the company in Israel. And uh, the three cabin uh, A350 will feature the new 56 seat Club World Cabin, 56 seat World Traveller Plus, and 219 seat uh, World Traveller Economy. Um, I just, I, I don't know why I thought this, but I'd forgotten uh, how many passengers the A350 can actually take. That's, that's a it's a, a good number, isn't it, in, in, that, uh, in that new aircraft? Uh, but the new uh, business cabin will be equipped with the club suite uh, business class seats, including a, a door for privacy, flatbed seats, and a one-to-one configuration, 40% additional storage, and an 18.5-inch in-flight entertainment screen. Uh, BA's choice to make it Israel, one of the first uh, routes on which the plane will operate, is an expression of confidence by the company in Israel and demonstrates the company's great appreciation for this market, says Gail Caton, uh, British Airways Israel manager. Uh, BA has operated in Israel since 1932, even before the establishment of the State of Israel, and operates three daily flights between Tel Aviv and London in its long-haul configuration. Uh, the British carrier promises that the A350, with reduced noise levels, high ceilings and ambient lighting, 
will leave the customers feeling rested as cabin pressure on the new aircraft is equivalent to an altitude of only 6,000 feet. Well, Carlos and I were terribly excited because <laughs> our uh, trip or one of the <coughs> legs, I think it was on the way back or on the way there uh, to um, uh, Dubai in November to cover the air show uh, was going to be on A350. And yeah. we thought this is going to be fantastic and then they swapped it to one of the old 747s but we've still got a bit of time left we we might get back on it yet we'll have to see see how they get on with it but uh, they're going to start delivering the um, a350 in july i believe so let, let's see if we can get it on the dubai route at least in one direction so what you think about this as a destination in armando um, you know, obviously these these places are, were not really top of the list on many people's destinations to fly into. What what do you think? I would love to go to Israel. That's one of the few places I've probably pushing 65, 70 countries that I've been to, and I never made it to Israel. Um, especially if it is, I saw the picture of that BA club suite. That is gorgeous. That's that's like sitting in your home living room or in an office. I saw the picture. Of that. Sorry, that's me. Not turning my phone down. It's uh, there was one of these other ones which I saw um, on the news feeds a while back was that they were I think they were just talking about opening up um, bigger or longer or more routes to Iraq. I think it was one of the airlines that was going to start flying. I'm sure it was. One yes, of I did hear that. Um, yeah, I forget which one it was actually, but um, yeah, I've been to Israel once uh, for work uh, to, to Tel Aviv. That was uh, about 2001, I think it was something like that. And uh, yeah, absolutely fascinating place. And uh, I think I took British Airways in one direction and El Al in the other direction. Uh, but um, yeah, you've got to be prepared for some fairly strict security there uh, and quite long check-in times. Mm. Um, but uh, if if you can get there, it is a fascinating place to go and see. And also, I very much enjoyed my my trip there. Actually, underwater chap in the chat room has said it's certainly a step up from the BA DC10 that he took to Tel Aviv in the nineties. Yes, it would be. Yes, um, I think those uh, DC10s. I can't remember. I think were they configured three five three or something like that and i remember being stuck in the middle of literally right in the middle of the aircraft on the way to dallas one year and that was oh that was just so painful it was the worst flight i'd ever taken uh i was uh not not in good shape at the end of it but um yeah uh that was in the days when they you know obviously try to cram as many people in as they can but uh, things have improved a little bit now at least in, in economy so, I, I can so. i can remember my last trip on a dc-10 nev Oh, Freddie Laker, Skytrain. Oh, yes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, classic. Absolute classic. Uh, but um, yeah, it's um, it's the, one of those. Having said all that, the, the DC-10 was an incredibly successful aircraft uh, for the long haul operations. You know, it, it was a very, very popular thing. They, I think they had some, you know, early problems. maintenance and bits and pieces going on with it. But in general terms, you'd have to say that it was a, a very reliable aircraft and, uh, and the passengers liked it. So moving on to the next story then, and uh, Armando, this is one for you involving a very popular airline over your way. That's it. I uh, actually just booked some tickets on Southwest Airlines about uh, an hour before the show started to Puerto Rico. So maybe we'll do a passenger experience. Uh, let's see. So this is from the Denver Post, and it is regarding Southwest Airlines' plans to build a $100 million 
three-plane maintenance hangar at Denver International Airport. In a three-airline town, the company with the heart logo is striving to show Denver who loves it most, and it plans to demonstrate its affection by pumping $100 million into a new maintenance hangar at Denver International Airport. Southwest Airlines' Gary Kelly opened this, his company's annual shareholders meeting in Denver on Wednesday uh, by describing the city as, without a doubt, the fastest growing city in the history of the low-cost carrier. Based in Dallas, Southwest B first came to Denver in 2006, getting a modest start with only 13 daily departures and three nonstop destinations. By this August, the airline expects to offer 224 daily departures out of Denver to 70 nonstop destinations with more routes on the way. The airline now employs about 4,200 people in the Denver area. Among the employees are 75 maintenance staff members who are likely pretty pumped about the forthcoming hangar project. Uh, for now, those workers mostly do jobs outdoors. Uh, the 130,000 square foot hangar will have space inside for three Boeing 737 aircraft with parking outside for eight more. Work on the project is expected to get underway in the coming months with completion targeted before the end of 2020. The hangar will be seventh in Southwest's network, joining facilities in Atlanta, Chicago, Dallas, Houston, Phoenix, and Orlando. Our investment here has paid off very handsomely. We are adding more flights this year, and we are planning more growth in the future. Uh, this hangar is further evidence, of course, of our investment in the community. So the article goes on a little bit uh, to talk about Southwest's history in Denver, but uh, I think if anybody has ever been out to Denver International Airport, it used to be out in a big meadow, and it's probably one of the biggest airports acreage-wise that I've ever been to or probably in the world. But it, it uh, when it was initially constructed, it was out there in the middle of nowhere, and now it, it you know it's turned into a huge hub and fairly accessible from downtown Denver. So, good to see Southwest growth. And I suppose it's also going to mean lots and lots of new jobs within the um, within the industry as well, Armando. Yeah. Uh, anytime there's an airline expansion in, in a city, it, it just kind of brings more business, more tourism. Um, as far as the hangar itself, you know, probably not a lot of maintenance or whether it's maintenance staff or operations staff, but uh, just by virtue of having more capacity coming in and into Denver, especially on Southwest Airlines, um, that'll probably create even more, um, you know, travel to, to the Denver area, which is already pretty big. Yeah. So moving on to the next story. And uh, this one is on the dailymail.co.uk website, one of uh, Nev's favorite publications. Huh. And uh, <laughs> and uh, it's a headline that, uh, well, I think we can all appreciate, especially us here in the UK, because Jet2, uh, one of the airlines we talk about a lot here in the UK, uh, the headline on the story, Spice Up Your Flight. Jet2.com becomes the first UK airline to serve Nando's snacks on board. So Jet2.com has turned the heat up on its flights by introducing two Nando's products to its new in-flight menu. This makes it the first UK airline to help its customers get a Nando's fix in the sky. 
The airline, the third's, uh, UK's third largest, will be introducing Nando's Piri Piri Flight Bites, uh, two snacks infused with South, uh, Southern African Piri Piri Spice. Ouch. The products include a dip, drizzle and dunk Nando's box, which includes creamy hummus, smoky piri-piri drizzle and lightly salted pita chips. Customers say Leeds-based-jet2.com can also take their taste buds on a trip with uh, Nando's half-popped corn, which it describes as a mild and delicious snacking option where fluffy popcorn meets crunchy corn. The airline added in a statement to give customers even more reason to feel sky-high with excitement this summer, Nando's vouchers can also be found in selected Nando's boxes on board. Exciting one person to free, <laughs> entitling one person to a free meal at a Nando's restaurant. The new in-flight menu is Jet2.com's biggest and best yet, with a number of new additions to give customers more choice and variety than ever. Following the introduction of its first ever in-flight vegan meal early this year, the warming and hearty panini arribata pasta dish. The company has added the vegan and gluten-free Gnor chocolate bar with Nando's half popcorn, also suitable for vegans now i'm actually quite happy but I, I do love a nando's i will say i do like a cheeky nando's every now and again um but i have to say i do have the um the heat setting on one chili as opposed to three or four which i'm sure probably most of the listeners will have or love the hot uh, chili uh, is is nando's a big thing um stateside armando i don't think it is okay uh, i think there's a f- I think there's a few of them here. I'd have to Google it, but the first time I ever heard of Nando's was there in Suffolk. <laughs> uh, I thought it was interesting that there was this craze over a chicken, I guess a place that only serves. <laughs> but hey, we have all kinds of restaurants here too. So I'll tell you what, it'd be interesting to see, you know, because we always we had a, we always have a food story you know, all the time on the show. But that we were talking last week, weren't we, about the meals and foods tasting different when you're you know at altitude on board an aircraft and it'll be interesting to see what the difference is but you know with when altitude with the uh peri peri heat kind of curry flavory type uh chicken stuff mm. well i can only imagine trying yeah. to get out of your seat and back to the aft lab lab <laughs> if you need to <laughs> nev i'm guessing this is not a favorite uh, dish for you or not well, it's not just that, but it's the the people that you get in Nando's. That's the reason I don't go in there, uh, as, you, as you can imagine. Um, pr- present company accept, accepted, of course. But yes, I would be a, a one chili person maximum. In fact, even though that is uh, a little bit on the hot side for, for my liking, I have to say. But uh, um, yes, well, it obviously um, it will please a lot of people, I'm sure. So moving on to uh, the next story and... Uh, well, I have to say, Nev, this is very, very quintessential British story for you. Well, well, it is, and we go, we go from you know something which is, well, a bit more popular to something that's a bit more exclusive. But this story does fall into the category of first world problems, I, I think. But, uh, um, but uh, shockingly, this is on the stuff.co.nz website. It says, shockingly, um, British Airways afternoon tea offer doesn't come with any tea. Um, If there's one thing stereotypically famous about the Brits, it's the idea of an afternoon tea. It's as quintessential as the Queen or Coronation Street, although you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone actually eating it, uh, besides tourists. Um, Anyway, a new offer from BA of an afternoon tea 
uh, has had passengers salivating. The advert for the deal, which is available on short haul flights for five pounds, says it's an indulgent sultana scone. Uh, served with traditional clotted cream and delicious strawberry preserve. Pair it up with a hot cup of tea pigs everyday brew for an authentic cream tea experience. Uh, does anyone catch? Uh, the, um, uh, it says that paired with a cup of hot tea doesn't actually mean comes with tea. Uh, the brew is separate and yours for £2.50. Uh, needless to say, the Brexit wary flyers are not best pleased. Now, could I just say, how is it possible to introduce the word Brexit into this story? I do not understand it at all. It's it's about tea and scones, isn't it? Or scones, as some people call it. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's, it gets worse. It says, whoever thought this up needs locking up, wrote one commentator on the forum Flyer Talk. This is another infuriating example of BA trying to fob customers off with false advertising, says another. One commentator went further with a whole new menu concept. Uh, fish and chips, £10. Bring your own fish. Uh, gin and tonic, £6. Mixer. Our pairing suggestions, gin, £7. Ice, 50p. British Airways told The Independent in a statement, whether it's a traditional cup of tea, our new uh, espresso martini or a bottle of champagne, we offer a wide range of be beverages to allow customers to choose which option they pair our popular afternoon tea with. Oh, what a fantastic uh, corporate answer that was um but um <laughs> yes but i they, they could have done that slightly better couldn't they they, they could have just you know included it and, and charged the, the price they're going to charge but um there we are they haven't <laughs> oh what do you think armando <laughs> are you a t you, you're, you're, you're a hot tea drinker man person coffee tea and he's on mute that's not helpful really Right. There so we let's go. Un let's unmute. Uh, yeah, I am a hot tea drinker. I love the cultural aspect of afternoon tea. I, I think taking a break at, you know, in the afternoon to have tea and scones is, is great. And I actually didn't know that afternoon tea included a scone uh, until a couple years into living in England. It's pretty awesome. I'll tell you what, one of the one of the the biggest things which I love when we flew um, with Virgin atlantic to las vegas was when we went up into the upper class lounge to have afternoon afternoon tea that was what they called it, it was afternoon tea and i and we sat with the first officer or one of the first officers uh, who was on break and and had tea and scones and jam and stuff like that. it was very nice i absolutely loved it, it was fantastic yeah i i have to admit i on especially on long-haul flights if i'm not uh, partaking of adult beverages i'm usually a tea drinker so moving on to the next story which hopefully involves a cup of coffee but it doesn't and uh yeah this is uh this is an interesting one armando yeah i i continue to wonder where it is that you get your stories but this one is from the south china morning post uh a Old Boeing plane is ab uh, was abandoned in Hong Kong four years ago by a bankrupt Russian carrier, and it is now available to any buyer willing to stump up 795,000 US dollars, which is a pretty good deal actually for a 7.6. Uh, the airport authority Hong Kong has sought submissions from parties to purchase and remove the 27-year-old Boeing 767, 
In its tender invitation, the authority stated that the plane had no maintenance records and was not in good condition. It added that the successful bidder was required to remove the aircraft within three months, whether as a whole or in parts. In October 2015, Russia's one-time biggest private airline, TransAero, collapsed under a mountain of debt. That year, Flight 965 took off from uh, Demedieva, uh, Moscow Airport for Hong Kong, arrived on October 26th, a day after the airline's operating license was revoked. It was TransAero's last flight, leaving the 767 stranded ever since. In December 2015, the airport authority detained the plane over non-payment of parking fees. Uh, in July 2016, the operator sought to claw back money by using the airport authority ordinance for the first time. However, the authority has since obtained a, uh, obtained a court order to sell the airplane on an as-is basis. Uh, with no maintenance records and a low likelihood of ever flying again without millions being spent on repairs, on top of tracing original documents, the plane is destined for the scrapyard, according to aircraft leasing experts. Having previously reviewed Boeing 767 aircraft and worked on the ones that came out of the TransAero bankruptcy in mainland China, China, David Yu, the only independent International Society of Transport Aircraft Trading appraiser in China, said the reserve price for the plane set by the authorities seemed to be above its scrap value. He said the sale would be difficult to anyone with, without documentation of the plane, its parts, or its current state. Um, I, I remember TransAero, I, I used to live in upstate New York and Rome, uh, Rome, New York, the old Griffiths Air Force Base, Micah will probably know or have been there, um, had, I think it was a B-52 base back in the day and, and it had a huge refurbishment maintenance facility. And I used to see these TransAero 767s come in there, um, probably 2009 to 2012. Uh, and I always wondered about the airline and its background and why they were coming to Rome, New York for maintenance work. But um, yeah, it's uh, interesting. I, I guess we could just tap into the coffers and buy this for PTUK you know, propaganda or something like that, put it in the front yard. I mean, it says it's in bad condition. It'd be interesting to see in, in you know, what, what they mean as bad condition. Obviously, it's probably not had its checks, annual checks and stuff done to, to the aircraft itself. But, um, I mean, if no one buys this, I assume they will scrap it on site rather than because obviously to fly this to to anywhere else to be scrapped they don't they would have to have it checked and, and that w which would cost a, a lot of money so i'm I'm guessing that they're going to have to scrap this at uh, this particular aircraft um on site yeah i would i would assume so unless you somebody's going to turn it into a hotel or some kind of attraction or something like that like we saw just recently the twa hotel open up with the yeah. constellation Although the the uh, seven six seven is not as not quite as sexy as a Lockheed Constellation. <laughs> so Nev, I'm guessing this one's off the list. Then I mean, you've obviously you know, you're buying a, a new uh, a new car, so you're not really got seven hundred ninety five thousand uh, dollars to to buy this. No, nor the space to put it either. Um, oh. So, <laughs> but um, do you know? I didn't. I don't know why I didn't know this. I did not know that uh, Transero was a Russian airline. 
I had no idea about that. I'd seen them at uh, Heathrow previously uh, back in the day, but uh, I didn't know that. So, um, but yeah, and uh, Neil Lamborn in the chat room says uh, they've got some uh, Transero 747s at Bruntingthorpe, yes. um, which we know about as well, don't we? So, yeah, 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 we've seen those, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So moving on to the next story, and uh, yeah, this is me. I think this is me. This is me. This is me. It is, yeah. yeah. So this is on the independent.co.uk, and it's one of these destinations which is on my list, to-do list of places where I really, really, really would love to go. And the headline on here is Machu Picchu, fury over plans for new multi-billion pound airport next to ancient Inca citadel. So uh, archaeologists and historians fear development will cause irreparable damage to World Heritage Site and surrounding Sacred Valley. The development of a multi-billion dollar airport that will fly tourists directly to Machu Picchu has sparked an outrage among historians, archaeologists and local people. Bulldozers have already begun clearing land for the airport in Chinchero, a well-preserved Inca city about 3,800 metres above sea level. Uh, that is the gateway to the Sacred Valley in Peru. The valley provided maize and other crops to Incan rulers and several emperors built their private estates there. Incan terraces still cover the hillsides around Chichero, which are used by local farmers. Those protesting against the airport will fear it will cause structural damage to ancient ruins and environmental de degradation uh, across a large swathe of the Sacred Valley, not just the famed citadel of Machu Picchu itself. The airport planned to be uh, built in Chinchero, Cusco, endangers the conservation of one of the most important historical and archaeological sites in the world, wrote Natalia uh, Majorov a Peruvian art historian at Cambridge University, who organised a petition against the development. Uh, she added that uh, the airport will affect the integrity of a complex Inca landscape and will cause irreparable damage uh, due to noise, traffic and uncontrolled urbanisation. Nearly 6,000 people have signed a petition which calls on Martin Vaccara, the President of Peru, to reconsider the project. Currently, the most visitors to Machu Picchu arrive in Cusco Airport, 50 miles southeast of the ruins, and then either catch a train or bus or embark on the four-day Inca Trail to reach the site. The airport has only one runway and is limited to handling stopover flights from Peru's capital, Lima, and nearby cities such as La Paz, Bolivia. But the new airport in Chinchero will be open to larger aircraft on international routes across Latin America and the US. The project was finally, or first announced, I should say, on, in 2012 by Peru's former president, Olanta Humala, and the government plans to complete the airport by the time, uh, by um, 2023. That's quite fast, actually, for that huge project. Mm. But anyway, at the time, Mr. Humala said the government would invest $460 million uh, in the project, not including compensation the f or compensation to the farming communities who la whose land will be seized. Announcing the project seven years ago, he said the new airport will not only allow more tourists to come, but will also generate more jobs and will permit modernisation and added value for the surrounding communities. But critics say the airport will bring noise, air pollution to the area and put a strain on limited water sources in the region. They've also expressed concerns that the planes landing and taking off from the airport will need to pass low over nearby Olantayambo, the archaeological park. Blimey, that's a mouthful. 
They say this could cause structural damage to the Inca ruins in the park. More than one and a half million tourists visited Machu Picchu in 2018, which is almost double the limit recommended by UNESCO. In 2017, UNESCO threatened to pull the citadel off its, or on its list of World Heritage Sites in danger of owning the uh, huge drain of tourism puts on the fragile ruins of the local ecology. Ah, it would be sad to uh, see anything happen to this, this site. Um, I know a few pr friends of mine who've been there and, and I've seen the pictures and it looks absolutely amazing. Um, and for them to put an airport here and also, I think, Armando, wouldn't you agree that the height that this airport would be, 3,800 metres above sea level, would um, would it be a challenge for airliners? Mute. <laughs> Goodness. There we go. Uh, yeah, the, the Quito airport, which is in that region, is has been known for a long time for being a very challenging approach, and I think it's a, a special training uh, crews have to undergo special training. I know at least for American Airlines to get in there, and I think they were flying 757s um, because of their, um, you know, capability for short airstrips. But yeah, the the terrain in there is extremely challenging, and uh, you know, I it, it's easy to say that. Hey, <laughs> hey, you got a phone call. Um, the uh, it's easy to say that. Sorry, <laughs> that's that's with my phone on silent as well. We'll uh, we'll fix it in post, right? Yeah. Uh, Fifty miles away from from the heritage site sounds like it's not very far, except the uh, it takes a couple hours to get there. So, uh, I guess it would be good to get more tourism into that area. The flip side of that is, I think they're trying to cut back on the tourism, and they they were almost going to go to a lottery if they're not already in a lottery program where they're afraid that too much tourism is going to degrade the ruins. Um, so I know I've, I've got a couple of friends that went last year, just, you know, basically before they start shutting it down. Um, so I'm interested to see if this airport ever materializes, but we'll see. Is this the destination you wouldn't mind going, uh, Nev? Yeah, that'd be great. Wouldn't I've got a, a couple of friends as well that have uh, been there previously. And uh, the pictures they brought back are fantastic. I I've mm. got to say, I'm not a huge environmentalist, but uh, this particular subject, I think we just be really careful here because um, building uh, an airport around that area, and as was just already been said, the uh, uh, everything around there is extremely fragile. So I think they've got to be, you know, seriously careful about this. Um, and actually, I don't know about you, but I think of where it is, the the, the longer journey to get there, sort of add something to it i think if you just turned up in an airplane um it would i don't know I, I just think that there's something special about having to go the extra or the, the extra distance by by, mm. by road uh, to, to get there so um yeah very true yeah, i think if you compare it to lukla and everest base camp you know that's it, uh, and pip brought this up in the in the chat room it, yeah they're not talking i don't know if they're talking about bringing seven fives into the Machu Picchu airport. But uh, if it's something for smaller, you know, Dorniers or Twin Otters or something to get in there, it wouldn't be as disruptive, but I'm with you, Nev. I think getting to a destination and then jumping on a Dala Dala or some, some little bus to get up to your site is uh, is part of the adventure, right? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Definitely. So the next story, Nev, 
is uh, about somewhere that's actually not too far from where I am now. Yeah, this is a bit of a, a shock, actually. I, I have not heard of this story before. Uh, it's on the BBC website, and it says Marshall Aerospace plans to leave Cambridge Airport base by 2030. And uh, Matt from the A320 podcast and myself were there just a few weeks ago uh, doing some filming for his series. Um, but it says that uh, Marshalls uh, currently employ 2,000 people, and uh, they are going to leave the base. Um the Marshall Aerospace and Defence Group is planning to build 12,000 homes and 5 million square feet of business premises at the airport and move by 2030. New sites are being considered uh, that are being considered are Duxford and uh, Witton in Cambridgeshire and Cranfield in Bedfordshire. Marshall said it hoped to support and retain its existing valued and highly skilled workforce throughout the move. Uh, a spokesman said that the company needed to invest in new facilities and that the relocation, coupled with the development of our land in Cambridge, will provide us with an extraordinary opportunity to achieve this. Uh, the Cambridge Airport site can offer the 12,000 homes plus business and commercial space, uh, providing the jobs necessary to make the site sustainable, he added. Uh, Cambridge MP Daniel uh, Zeigner uh, said he had received assurances Marshall will retain a presence in the city but was concerned about the impact on existing staff and jobs. He said that the company, which was founded in 1909, had played a central role in the city's economic and civil life for over a century. He said we'll need guarantees that homes will be affordable and built to high environmental standards with genuinely sustainable transport solutions in place up front. Uh, Cambridge City Council leader Lewis Herbert said Marshall have played a major role in the life of Cambridge for more than a century and it is critical to see this business retained locally in the future, whether it moves or stays where it is. The council will work closely with the company to explore and understand their plans for relocating most of their businesses and for the potential redevelopment of the Cambridge Airport site. The United Union, which has 900 members at the Marshall Aerospace and Defence Group, said it was very disappointed and wanted urgent talks. Regional officer Roger Dillon said, we are talking about highly skilled engineering jobs that are part of the lifeblood of the vibrant Cambridge economy. United is very disappointed that we were not involved in, in the discussions prior to the announcement. Whilst we appreciate the need for more housing in the Cambridge area, especially affordable housing, there has to be a balance struck with the need to preserve key engineering jobs. And I think that's a very big statement there because it's all about engineering, especially in that, in that part of the country. And they are a, a major employer where they've got some, you know, your father might work there or your brother might work there or your wife might work there. So whole families actually uh, end up uh, working at somewhere like uh, Marshall. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a shock, I have to say. I had no idea that they'd got uh, plans to do this. Yeah, I'm quite shocked. I mean, I've been past there at the site quite a few times. It's quite it's, it's really good for uh, for uh, aircraft spotters because the main road into Cambridge, into the, the, the city itself, you know, goes right past the runway. And, in fact, they, they have some traffic lights there which they um, shut part of the road off when you have aircraft coming into land they have like a traffic light system in place for you know for aircraft for sometimes when they come in but it's a huge site and it's as, as from what i have heard in the past it was it's been really well used by not just um, people having uh, aircraft service there but also by a lot of business aircraft flying to cambridge as well it's, it's quite a, a handy airport for businessmen to fly into as well and that site to be covered in houses, I think, is going to be 
yeah, a real shame in in my eyes, and um, I'm surprised they they've decided to do this. But I'd imagine Nev, it all boils down to that good old pound. Well, yes, I mean everybody's got their foot hard down at the moment with with building houses. But if I remember correctly, you know the the road infrastructure around there uh, will just not be able to deal with all that. So we'll have to think about rerouting uh, some of the roads and, and this kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it, it's uh, I do not understand why they they want to do this. Uh, as Pip said in the chat room just now, houses can be built any, anywhere, but why bulldoze a modern, well-equipped, active airport? And yeah. he's uh, absolutely right in my opinion. And a spray shop as well. They've got a really good spray place there as well mm, yeah, yeah big uh, maintenance space isn't it a, yeah. a, lot, of, a lot of places yeah. uh, people go there for that yeah so armando yeah. oh yeah carry on well, before we leave that one this this will be interesting too because you know as they continue to talk about closing down the u.s air force bases in the mid to late 2020s those are also scheduled and slated for uh, development so whether it's in, in industrial parks or housing in the Suffolk area. So if you lose Cambridge, uh, Mildenhall, Lake and Heath, you know, that's, that's a, a huge um, aviation presence that would leave Suffolk. Yeah, it would be a, sh a definite shame. And, and also the, the variety of aircraft that fly into, um, into Cambridge as well, the military aircraft that fly into there, as well as the commercial and uh, biz jets as well that fly into there. It was, um, it was always quite a sight because the, the, the park and ride car park that we use is just uh, off from where the runway is. So it was uh, quite a busy place for uh, for photographers, air, aircraft photographers. So, yeah, be a shame. Be a shame to see this happen. But there we go. So the next story, Armando, is, um, yeah, it's an awesome one for you. Yeah, this is from Flight Global, and it talks about IAG is to place four Airbus A321neos with its Spanish spin-off arm, Iberia Express, deploying the twin jets with the carrier from April of next year. Iber um, I should say it correctly. Iberia Express already has four conventional A321s, uh, part of a fleet which also includes 18 A320s. It says the re-engined aircraft will be configured with 232 seats in a mix of business and economy class cabins. Iberia Express will fit the Recaro SL3510 seat in its economy section, while the business cabin will have the Collins Aerospace Pinnacle. They will undoubtedly help us consolidate further the value proposition to our customers, says the chief executive, Fernando Candela. Uh, Airbus's latest backlog figures show that Spanish flag carrier Iberia converted a December 2015 order for three A320neos to A321neos in April of this year. This conversion gives Iberia a total order of seven A321neos as well as 13 A320neos, two of which have been delivered. Iberia Express, one of uh, the airlines I haven't flown. I've flown with Iberia, but not Iberia Express. But I'm, I will remember when we stayed in Lanzarote a few years back, which is also a great place to go for plane spotting. It's uh, one of those uh, airlines that frequently flies into Lanzarote, and I remember seeing the 321 um, from from the other airlines and stuff. But Iberia, I think they've got uh, most or all the Airbus fleet. I think they've got 320s, mostly 320s. But um, it's uh, 321 Nev is um, mm. I think is becoming quite a popular aircraft now with uh, a lot of airlines, especially the Neo version. Yes, I've been on a 321 
back from uh, Edinburgh, I think, the other week. That's, uh, yeah, very nice aircraft, very quiet as well. Uh, just one um, thing I want to say about the, this story is that um, uh, they're talking about fitting the, uh, the Recaro seats. That's the Recaro seats. I've got a colleague of mine who shall remain nameless that calls this company Ricardo every time and he will not stop doing it and he doesn't know he's doing it and it irritates me beyond measure <laughs> as you can imagine gotta love a Recaro seat hey Armando yeah <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know too much about cars I, I know it's a seat maker I was actually surprised and learned for the first time that they make airplane seats too so yeah, I think did they make the slimline ones, Nev, for the new air, the EasyJet Airbuses? Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah, I thought they did. Yeah. yeah. So the next story is on Flight Global again, uh, one of Nev's favourite websites. This one, mm. and it has a nice font. The uh, headline: Startup Great Dane. So this is a new startup airline. We've got a, a new startup airline. Love this. Uh, Great Dane shows off its first aircraft. So startup regional carrier Great Dane Airlines has shown off its first aircraft, an Embraer 195, newly painted in the Danish operator's livery. The aircraft, Echo India Golf Golf Charlie, a 2008 airframe with serial number 213, was formerly used by Flybe. It's owned by the Cayman Islands-based Lesser, or Lisa Propius, which is linked with the UK's Stobart Air, the company recently acquired, along with Flybe by Connect Airways. Great Dane Airlines is aiming to commence services to three destinations, Edinburgh, Nice and Dublin, from Alborg, I think that's how you pronounce that, Alborg. Uh, Denmark's corporate registry indicates the carrier has undergone a recent major change of ownership. It indicates the airline has been majority owned since March by investor SEBC Holding, which also has diverse interests in hotel operations, business software and a motor racing circuit. SEBC succeeded former co-owner PhD Holding linked to former board member Hugh Duck Nugent. Uh, he was one among uh, four members of the board who resigned in March, according to the registry, including Chairman Keld Arnhold Christensen, Arn Remen, and Panel Frugard Simonson. Blum, I should have gave this story to one of you guys. Uh, Elgid Christensen joined the board as chairman in the same month, while registry also lists Jesper Christensen as the new board member, alongside airline founder Thomas Hugo Moller. Great Dane Airlines authorised capital was increased in March from uh, 400,000 kroner to 2 million Dutch kroner. But uh, this is an airline I hadn't heard a lot about. Nev, I'm guessing you might have heard a thing about this airline? No, I didn't actually, no. Uh, but a uh, bit of a missed opportunity, surely, with the livery. Uh, should have a picture of a Great Dane on it, I, I would have thought, but... Uh... Maybe not. Um, so, uh, but yes, uh, in the uh, E195, which is a uh, very nice aircraft, I have to say. I do like those. Yeah, so this is their first one of these, and they've got one more of these on order. So I don't know whether they're, they're having that as a as a second-hand one, an ex-flyby one or not. I don't know. Mm. But, uh, yeah, yeah, another, another at, least we're, at least we're talking about airline startups for a change rather than airlines um, ceasing to exist anymore. 
Oh well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's we keep joking about that, right? We two two go under, and then another. There's another startup, so it's like, you know, one step forward, two steps back, or two forward, one back. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So the next story uh, for you, Nev, and uh, it's regarding. Uh, well, it's an interesting one actually regarding points because I know you're a, a big fan of uh, air miles and points and stuff. Yes, we do like the points. And um, it's on the cheatsheet.com uh, website. And it says surprising things you can redeem your airline miles and rewards points for. Who doesn't love getting fun perks when flying? Of course, the most common way is to get free things. Uh, to get free things is by collecting miles as you travel. And the most popular reward for a miles program is free airfare. But many other perks include rental cars, hotel stays, and maybe even cashback. Uh, have you ever spent any time, though, uh, diving deep into the fine print or clicking through the 50 pages on your list of rewards to find that the weirdest thing you could spend your points on? Well, uh, this company did. And with help from the points guy, these are some of the most surprising ways you can redeem your miles. Some of these items on the list uh, might have you scratching your head whilst others might get you running out to sign up for a new credit card. Uh, I'm not going to uh, go through everything here, but um, just some examples are a, a Korean coat check. Uh, so if you're a member of the Korean Air Skypass and need to stash your coat quickly, you can redeem uh, 400 points per day for the coat room reward. Now, the next one is a sock subscription. Uh, ever since 1999, Black Socks have been providing happy customers with a sock subscription or sockscription, if you will. But it's only for... For black socks. Uh, number three is a baby spa experience. And um, you can exchange 6,500 of your Asia miles for a day trip in, in Hong Kong uh, with your little one. Uh, uh, or you can also have a, um, a flying without oh, fear a day course. Matt. Yeah. As, as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's going to cost him uh, 40,000 miles uh, with uh, Virgin Atlantic if he wants to do that. Um, and you can also have a day as a, at a career role play theme park. <laughs> and uh, that would cost you 2000 of your Japanese uh, airline points uh, to give your child this once in a lifetime experience. The next one's uh, for Armando. Get, yeah. Yes, it is. This would suit him very nicely. $50 gift card. Uh, for a liquor store so uh that will uh, uh is available for exchange from uh, virgin australia I mean, frequent down, <laughs> yeah uh, this is a, a weird one uh number seven it's a hundred gram gold bar uh, mm-hmm. And uh, according to the points guy, the 900,000 plus points it takes you to redeem this are worth over $13,000. And the gold bar is only worth around $4,400. So then again, it doesn't make a lot of sense, uh, possibly. Um, you can also exchange your points for a vegan food tour of Ho Chi Minh City via scooter. Uh, that will cost you 3,744 uh, of the uh, Chase Sapphire preferred points. Actually, Nev, um, skipping to number 14, because I think that is the one that we are all going to save our points for. Oh, right. Yes, indeed. Well, if, if we had enough points, uh, this this would be the one, as you say. Uh, it would be for six dogfights in a fighter jet. Um, but before your imagination runs away with you, it's not the kind that kind of dogfight. For those of you who didn't watch enough Top Gun, dogfights are an aerial combat drill. Fighter jets do for training when they uh, fly right at each other. And you could be strapped in 
for all of the G-forces if you save 650,000 points on your Capital One or Chase required cards. Wow. But especially for the people in uh, number 15, uh, Nev, because we do have some space fans, I think, who watch the show. Oh, we do, yes. Unfortunately, my uh, screen won't go down to them. Oh, see, there it is. Yeah, I've just seen it. It's uh, You can take a flight into space if you want. Um, but uh, that's, um, well, it's going to it's, it's gonna cost you 2 million miles, or, or you can cash in 200,000 miles for a 10% off coupon for your space flight. Uh, and that's available uh, from uh, Virgin Atlantic, as you might expect. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you honestly you you would have to have a, a either a um an incredibly good job which involves lots and lots and lots of flying or one of those cards where you just re, you know you 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 get miles or points for 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 doing anything i think you know yeah what what's the um for, and, for, um, for you nev what's what's the card of of choice for points the what do you think is the best well, difficult to say. I mean, I use the British Airways American Express card, but the the subscription fee on that has gone up a lot now, and it's about £195 a year, something like that. Ouch. Um, so that's quite a big hit, and that's that's gone up a lot recently. Um, the, the, you, you're always shopping around for, for different things, basically, and there's usually a sus- subscription fee that, that goes with it. So, um, But uh, Neil Lamwell makes a good point in the chat room, actually. He says, how do you get 40,000 miles if you're afraid of flying? That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> What's your card of choice, Armando? Obviously, you, you must collect um, air miles of some description. Yeah, I use the American Airlines cards. So I have uh, two different credit cards that are linked to my American Airlines uh, rewards account. Oh, that's good. Is it? I mean, because some of the uh, the the deals that we have here in in the UK are uh, for kind of fuel purchases for you know for your car, you you gain points, or for purchases, some retail purchases as well, you can you can get you know, uh, points for your air miles. Yeah, there there's plenty of different options for uh, you know we we do enough uh, the points guys stories. There's uh, plenty of different options out there for anybody that wants to do either purchases. I think most of us listening to this podcast or doing these podcasts would take an airline rewards card any day. You know, if you want to jump on an A350 on Iberia or something like that, you can do so with a with a Capital One card or something mm. like that. Actually, Mike says in the chat room that, uh, or no, sorry, Richard Adams, sorry, says in the chat room, uh, one million points for an hour in a Spitfire. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I like, like the sound of that. Or you could just pay. I think what, what was it, Nev at Ducks, or was it uh, two and a half thousand pounds for? Was it twenty? Minutes? Yes, it was. That's right. Yes, I think it's twenty minutes or half hour flight in, in yeah. Spitfire. Yes, just over two thousand pounds. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is uh, cheap, That'd cheap at half the price. Well, yeah, yeah, brilliant. So the last uh, story then, uh, Armando, and uh, this this one's quite a quite a nice story to end on. I think. Yeah, so this one is from the Daily Mail, and it talks about a heartwarming moment that a quadriplegic former airline pilot takes to the skies again on his first ever paragliding flight. Uh, This uh, former pilot's dream came true when he enjoyed his first paragliding flight. Canadian Jim Ryan, 59 years old, was paralyzed after being hit by a wave when he was diving underwater in the central Pacific island of Maui in 2016 while on holiday with his family. 
the former commercial airline pilot wanted to get to the skies again ever since. And his ambition was realized with the help of paragliding enthusiast, Greg Hemingway, a flight officer who flew with Jim when he was a captain. Uh, Jim and Greg took off from a mountain in more, uh, sorry, Harrison Mills, British Columbia, and then enjoyed a magical tandem flight through the valley. In the flight, which was recorded by Greg's body cam, Jim is heard laughing loudly. When the pair touched down, the grateful Jim, who is an advocate for people with disabilities, says, what a ride. Thank you, Greg. Afterwards, Jim said, for someone in a wheelchair who misses flying every day, this is one of the most ex incredible experiences that make life worthwhile. Jim had wanted to complete a paragliding flight 10 years ago when he was a pilot for Canada's low-cost airline WestJet, but his work commitments meant it wasn't possible. But his dream was made possible after he approached Greg a few months back to ask him if he would take him. Uh, to the delight of his former colleague, he said yes. Jim, who posted a video of his flight on Facebook, took to the skies an especially made buggy for disabled paragliders, which has a backpack attachment to allow people to do tandem flights. The chair is low to the ground and has specially made uh, straps that cover every part of the body. Um, he said, it is through the work of phenomenal help of friends and new acquaintances that we made this all work. Uh, Jim is also a motiv motivational speaker for those with disabilities in his community. He's received the Courage to Come Back Award for his work and has spent the past three years trying to live his life to the fullest to prove that disabilities don't limit people. Last year, uh, Jim was taken sturgeon fishing by well-known advocate Rick Hansen and even got a chance to stir the boat. Oh, there we go. Just the video there. What an awesome experience for that guy to be able to uh, to do that. You know, I haven't actually. I've never seen that before. Wheelchair suspended the uh, below. That's pretty. Yeah, cool. and, and just yeah. you know, it goes to prove that flying is in the blood, one way or another. And and uh, for anyone to be able to get back in the air, you know, we see this with uh, veterans from the different wars where. I think just a, a few episodes back, we did a story about um, a Spitfire pilot, or maybe it was a P-51 pilot getting back in the air. And uh, I love watching, you know, it's one of these things that, that makes you emotional because when you see their, their, the joy that comes back when somebody gets back in the air. And, and personally, I, my, my dad is a retired airline pilot and he, he hasn't, hadn't flown since probably the mid 2000s. And I've gotten a chance to take him up. Um, you know, he's he's in his late 70s now, a couple times, and it's amazing. And and for me, watching my dad at the controls, it really is like like riding a bike, where he he's a 15,000 hour airline pilot, and even disabled, my dad is smoother than I am on the controls because it's just in his blood. Um, so I, I love reading stories like this and, and it just goes to encourage anyone with a disability to get in the air, whether it's as a pilot or as a passenger. So very cool. So coming up next, then we have got uh, a very special segment that uh, was taken uh, at the Duxford Air Show it was filmed by uh, Nev and uh, Matt. And they were talking to uh, some of the people who came on Sunday and uh, this is a two parts. We've got the first part now. We've also got uh, a very special segment coming up after this uh, from Armando. And then we've got the second part of uh, the Duxford uh, Meetup segment coming up later on the show. So, Armando, if you're ready, let's uh, watch the first part. 
Yeah, let's do it. Good afternoon, everyone. We are at Duxford. It is uh, Sunday. It's the meetup that we've been going on and on and on about. And I'll tell you what, we could not have chosen a more perfect and stunning day. Uh, everybody's, uh, we've had, uh, was it four people, I think, Nev fly in, which, is, which has been great. But we're going to have a, a quick wander around now while we're having a bite to eat, because uh, Al had been about 45 minutes without eating, eating and we were very concerned. Uh, so, um, yeah, we'll have a quick chat with everyone if we can. We'll probably start with the boss, if that's all right. Uh, sorry to interrupt, sir. Could I disturb you for a moment? Sorry. Hello. Hello. How are you? Uh, if you could introduce yourselves to everyone. Hello, Carlos here. As you can see, that's good, isn't it? We've got these um, wonderful shirts on. Uh, how are you, Matt? I'm all right, mate. Yeah, 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 absolutely. How did you did you fly in, or did you come by TriStar Van? TriStar Van, TriStar obviously, Van. yes. Uh, with uh, great IFE on the way in. Great IFE. Right. Yeah, we had great IFE. Why? What were you watching? Uh, I wasn't watching any. I was driving. But, good. Um, well done. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it was it's great. I mean, we've had a great turnout. I know. I can't. I can't get over how many people are here. We're, we're going to try and talk to as many people as we can. But. I know. And Dr. Steph is here. I know. Absolutely. In fact, actually, let, let's wander across there now. She while she's not eating, we should probably just do that. Uh, uh, Dr. Steph, if I could just say hello for a moment. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, you're on camera oh, one sorry. there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's um, now you're a bit of a surprise to us all, really, for many reasons. Uh, <laughs> I surprise myself sometimes. <laughs> the first one being that you're here what on earth and what on earth are you doing here how, how could i miss out on this <laughs> well absolutely. i mean seriously uh, and, and okay. uh, thank you so much for bringing some incredible weather with oh it's you. my pleasure it's the least i can do for uh <laughs> for pt uk yeah so. absolutely yeah. so uh, how long are you here for oh uh, just actually in england today yeah. but i was in uh, zurich the past two days Oh, fantastic. Uh, another marathon? <laughs> Fortunately, no, because oh, the weather was not very good. No. But uh, we did see most of the city yesterday, a friend, friend of mine um, and I, and yeah. Fantastic. Worked out well to, to come here for the day. I know. I mean, everybody was, has literally been blown away by the fact that suddenly you were here. So this is thank you so well, much for kind of the idea. It was, yeah. it was good to see everyone's reactions. That was that was fun and worth it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so very much for coming. Now we're going to go uh, one across to uh, uh, the gentleman who is basically responsible for this entire nightmare. Uh, yeah. Hi. Sorry. Diet Coke burping. Right. Good. Lovely. Yeah. yeah. Style it out, Pip. You'll be fine. Yeah. yeah morning. Hi. And uh, now now you flew in. We did. I flew in with uh, Sir Adam and Nicholas and okay. Isaac here. Yep. We came down from Tweston to White Waltham to pick up Nick and Adam and then across this here. This is where the interviewers spend more time interviewing each other. Uh, right. <laughs> Sorry, just here. <laughs> Nick spoiling all the interviews as per He doesn't care because he's done his, so he's, he's all fine. Uh, now, uh, just the one landing fee today? Um, well, let me tell you. I'm right behind you. Pete. Yeah, I can, I can hear you. Let me tell you, Nick flew most of the way here, and Nick uh, landed as well. I didn't touch the Fantastic. controls. Fantastic. Well, <laughs> no, it was perfectly acceptable. I've, I've said many times that I can't land the damn thing, so Nick may as well try. <laughs> okay, right. Well, what could what could possibly go wrong? Exactly. Hey? So yeah, indeed, absolutely. So so uh, your your flight uh, was roughly how long? Um, from White Wolf, I think about 35 minutes-ish, wow. then it'll be the same going. It's a lovely day for flying, very little wind, yeah. um, quite calm, uh, very quiet at Luton as well, which is rather handy, so we managed to buzz straight through the middle of their airspace, Fantastic. which saved five or ten minutes. Uh, so yeah, and same again on the way back, I hope. Fantastic, yes. Well, thanks, Pip. Yes, Thank Isaac, you. how are you? Good. Yeah, you flew in with Dad as well, yeah? Yeah. Fantastic. So, do, do you like aeroplanes, or are you just very tolerant? Yeah, I like aeroplanes. 
Yeah, actually, he's becoming very competent himself at the old flying. Oh, he can wow. sort of hold a heading and an altitude quite well. Wow, cool. So, what what do you want to do when you grow up, Isaac? Uh, do you want to do what Dad does? No. no. Oh, right. Okay. What do you want to do when you grow up? Oh, you haven't. Okay. Yeah, Last time I asked, he wanted to be a he wanted to be a what was it a rock star rugby player for England. Rock star rugby player. Now that's quite now because you are rather good at rugby, aren't you? I understand. Oh dear, he's gone all embarrassed. We'll we'll leave it there, I think. Anyway, thanks, Isaac. Uh, uh, now I don't need to introduce these two. Well, right, I know mate. these two. All right, mate. How yeah, are you? Yeah. yeah thanks, hi, Lee. How are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? Oh, living the dream. Oh, Warm yeah. day, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, so we've been here what three times so far this year. Once without Steph. Twice with Steph. Twice with Steph. Yes, that's Whether glorious when Steph's here. Whether yeah. crap when Steph's not here. Good so, point. Yeah. So if you bring if you bring Owen, it's really rubbish. Uh, yeah. Uh, and if you bring Dr. Steph, the it, weather is fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Long-suffering Lisa behind you. Hi, Lisa. Hello. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. Now you're very understanding, really, because it's him really that likes all this sort of thing. You, you, you're just coming along for the ride, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very grateful. How did that. you guess? Uh, well, well, he did absolutely. I assume I assume you drove here. Yes. Yeah, you didn't come by, no, I don't no, know, no, TriStar no, van no, or anything. No, I yeah. drove here and, and you declined the lift with me, so... I know, absolutely. I've seen what your driving's like, mate. That's that's fine. Yeah, uh, well, right, uh, where, where are we going to go next? Let's say hello to Matt. So we've got Matt from the A320 podcast here. Hello, Matt. Hi there, how you doing? Hi. We're very good, thank you. So now, you drove here? Yeah, we drove, yeah. Okay. And uh, have you been to Duxford before? Yes, we're annual members, so wow. we've been several times before, yeah. Okay, cool. This is it. There's so many people here. This is just so, so cool. Now, again, it's, it's one of those, isn't it? A lot of people here, we all know, we know, we, we, you, yeah, what were you were making a suggestion, actually, about what we ought to do rather than, like, putting names on? Yeah, everyone should just have their Twitter handles because right. I only know everyone has their Twitter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it's a good idea. So you brought two long-suffering Litlands with you as yes. well. So who have we got here? Yeah, we've got Ruby here. Ruby. Hi, Ruby. Do you do you like aeroplanes? Yeah. Do you? What do you want to do when you grow up? Uh, I don't know. You don't know. Do you want to do what Daddy does? I, because Daddy just sits around in the house a lot at the moment. He doesn't really. <laughs> Officer. You want to be a police officer? Oh, how oh, cool wow. is that? <laughs> I'm scared already. I has to be said. And what's your name? Holly. Hello, Holly. And what do you like aeroplanes? Yeah. You do. So, um, do, what do you want to do when you grow up? Uh, I want to be. Uh, I want to be a nurse. A nurse? Well, I like have mommy. to say that. Oh, like mummy. Our yeah. mummy's a nurse, is she? Yeah, okay. Two very noble professions, I have to well, say. I think you you're go. doing, a, you're, between you, you're doing a sterling job of bringing them up, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, what are the highlights here at Duxford for you? Uh, I think it's the mixture, actually. It's so eclectic. Obviously, you've got Concord and Blackbird and things like that, plus you've got all the old stuff. Yeah, yeah. They just open up the hangar full of Spitfires and all that sort of stuff over there. So Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, right, so let's work our way down this side. Hello, sir. What's Hello, your name? Matt. I'm John Picard. Hello, John Picard, and welcome to Duxford. Welcome. It's good to be here. Did you drive here? I did indeed. Okay. I came down from Litchfield this morning. From Litchfield. Now, have you been here before? I was actually saying, in 1983, as an air cadet. <laughs> That's a long time wow. ago. <laughs> Goodness me. And that the was... bus broke down. <laughs> right. Okay. Nothing to do with me. No. Uh, I wasn't driving back then. Uh, so how long um, How long a drive from Litchfield? It's only two hours. Oh, it's not too it's, bad. It's absolutely yeah. fine. Okay. So uh, are you... Uh, 
what what are your memories of Duxford like when you were here with the air cadets? Then? It was really a really cold, dismal, dark day. Right. But on the other hand, the American collection, etc., it was it was really interesting. Yeah. But you don't appreciate it as a child, do you? I think no. that's the big thing in life that you, you go back and you reflect, and uh, coming back now has made a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. So it's yeah. Well, we're looking forward to looking at a few uh, exhibits later. We'll move on Thank now. You. Hello, Barbara. There's a few faces I recognise. Hi, Barbara. Hello. Right. Hello. Uh, so so now you've driven from sort of Northampton I've area. I've come from Nottingham. Nottingham, not Northampton. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's not too bad. About the same yeah. as us. Yeah. Good drive down. Yeah. Now, now you've been to Duxford uh, with I think when we were here for, for one of the air shows, weren't I have, you? I think. Yes, I've been here with one of the uh, another plane talking UK. Um, I think it was last year. Yeah. And um, I also know Duxford quite well because I used to volunteer here ah, and cool. help to maintain the Concord in that big hangar. Very so cool. So I know Duxford very well. Good. Yeah, well, yeah. Yes, like. it's lovely to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. What's, what's your favourite exhibit here? Um, well, I do, love, I do love the Concord, but I love the Monarch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's the Britannia, Britannia fan, right? Yeah, right? we're hoping yeah. to go and have a, a little yeah, nose round that later. That. And... Um, yeah, I love the, I love all the planes that are open on the tarmac then. You can go inside and have a look yeah. at the passenger seats. Sounds That's my favourite. Yeah. <laughs> right, we're going to move on then to so the next. Hello, sir. Sorry to interrupt Hello. your... Uh, did I say, uh, what's your name and where do you come from? I'm Richard, <laughs> all the way from Derby. Yeah, right. Two hours drive. Wow, OK. Yeah, yeah. Not, not far away from East Midlands then? No, that's no. where I'm at the moment. Yeah, based with... Well, big Irish airline ah. is coming through. Right, oh, very cool. Never met Owen, though. Have you not? No. Okay. I've chatted to him on Facebook after I've heard him on your show. Yeah, yeah. Is he still with... No, no, he's not He's not with Heartbeat yeah. anymore. No, no, no. Oh, bless no. Him. That'll be what... Yes, he escaped. He escaped. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm still shackled in at the right. moment, so... <laughs> very cool. Yeah, so, uh, what's... Uh, the, I mean, it's... I mean, uh, we say this a lot, a lot it's like... You, you assume that sort of cabin crew and stuff, it, it's a glamorous lifestyle, and it really is anything but that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, absolutely. Stag parties making a mess, getting abused. But you get to constant mess about with planes yeah, all the time. So. Well, there was <laughs> that, yeah, I suppose at least you're... No, you're it's good, in... I enjoy it. It's, uh, it's very varied. Yeah, wow. Well, so. we, we, uh, quite, as I quite often say, I doff my cap to you, sir, for <laughs> being able to do it. We'll work yeah. our way along. Hello, sir, what's your name and where do you come from? I feel like I'm doing like something like Sale of the Century or something. <laughs> Hi, it's Chris Griggs from Oxford. From Oxford. Now, you actually flew in, didn't you? I did, yeah. Flew in from Wellsbourne today. Okay, cool. And how long was your flight? About an hour. Cool. And uh, so, some, got to ask the question, details about your little plane. What did you fly in? Uh, so, it's a club plane that I've rented, um, uh, PA-28, uh, 180 horsepower one, so got, got here quite Plenty quickly. of grunt then, yeah. Plenty of gone, pl plenty of um, wait for when we go go home. Right. Okay. Yes. I, I notice you are near Al, so terrible. You know, ice creams. I think will be next. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Absolutely. And next to you is long-suffering girlfriend. Uh, Isabel Frey, also from Oxford. Right. Well, yes. I, absolutely. And uh, now you're just here because just because you were dragged along essentially. Do, do you have any? Do you, do you like going out flying? Yeah, um, and never been scared of it, which is a good thing. <laughs> okay, absolutely. Well, that, that, that's a testament to your flight. <laughs> yes, so, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. No, very good. So, have you been to Duxford before? No. No? no, it's my okay. first time. Hello, sir. What's your name and where um, are you from? Matt. My name's Dave W. I'm from the South Coast today. Wow, wow. So you've had quite a drive then? I was about two and a quarter hours on the Sunday. It was coming up as over three hours when I checked it during the week, but obviously much nicer on a Sunday. So No, I bet. I bet. Absolutely. Uh, have you been to Duxford before? No, it's my first time and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I can't believe how casual the atmosphere is, how many planes they've got here. Food's fantastic. There's something about it being a working airfield, isn't it? Somehow it gives it a bit of a sort of a magical feel. Oh, it? absolutely. When a, a Pilatus... Um, 
fired up a little earlier and you can smell the jet fuel coming yes. across it's uh, you can't beat that you yeah. cannot yeah. beat that at all yeah there's yeah. some museums it's musty it's old it's yeah. got that smell about it but here you can smell real aviation yeah. so yeah, yeah such a difference absolutely. and of course you've got the um other sort of spitfires that we've seen firing up and stuff i oh, mean yeah, the goosebumps are still there yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah no, well thank you very much for coming now this is a, a very familiar face to the podcast i don't know which way we're going to go here sorry we're keeping right. nev on his toes here today uh <laughs> philip welcome yes hi matt all right now now you actually flew here didn't you I and did. uh, with a little bit of help yes yes i drove drove to wiltshire and was lucky enough to be picked up by al in his piper arrow so ah. very lucky so very good cool. and, and and so how long was the flight uh, about 45 minutes was it something like that yeah. lost track of time I was so engrossed in watching everything yeah, and have you done much GA in. nope that's only the second time GA and oh, only yeah. my only my 13th time in the air wow so, oh, so that's cool well I'm I mean let's lucky. be honest you couldn't have picked a, a better person who I'd feel most safe with because no, we all know I'm a very nervous flyer <laughs> and when I was having my uh, Al was helping me with my um, sort of fear of flying of course he very kindly took me up in, in said yeah, little plane for a thing and speak of the devil he shall appear uh, hello. Greetings. How are we? Uh, very good. How is the food so far? Um, well, uh, yeah, not bad. Um, to be honest, uh, Jonathan Warner, he who shall not be mentioned, mentions the uh, the McDonald's breakfast, which yes. frankly doesn't feature on my radar. Right. So, okay. So the burger and fries that I've had here was excellent. Good. So, excellent. So I'm just warming up nicely. Yep. Absolutely. Ice creams later, I presume. Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. So you flew up here in your little piper? Yes. Um, we'd like to um, thank the, uh, the Earl of uh, Suffolk and Berkshire for allowing us to use his, uh, his little airfield to pick <laughs> Phil and Jonathan up. So Very cool. Uh, so thank you very much, uh, my lord. And, um, yeah, we, so I, uh, I did a little detour to pick these guys up, um, sort of like a 90-degree detour. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and uh, we had a jolly little flight here, it was quite busy. Um, I've kind of held this belief for a little while and I'm going to apologise in advance, but I don't care. Gliders are like the cyclists of the air, they just get in the way. <laughs> I can see Pitt glaring at us from... from... <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> Can't they find somewhere else to do it? You know, go, what we need to do is we need to find an island somewhere off the coast of the UK, put all the cyclists and all the gliders there, and then they can just do their own thing without getting in the way of normal people. No. <laughs> that was awesome. Absolutely fantastic camera work, as always, Nev. Oh, thank you. Very nice of you to say so. Yes, and one of my legs ached the, the following day because I was uh, crouching down for a lot of those shots as well. But uh, it's my own fault for getting, getting old, isn't it? But uh, no, it was a great day and uh, uh, great chat. And there'll be some more later in the show. Yeah, and I, I will say we did have uh, a kind of group discussion, didn't we, Nev, in the, uh, in the kind of meet-up chat, the WhatsApp chat group, that uh, we might, uh, well kind of uh, make this a yearly event yeah we're having some discussions about uh, this time of year see if we can do it to, to make it an annual event uh, especially if it's a, a non-air show day because it's it's just much easier as far as traffic and uh, parking and that kind of thing is concerned so yeah we'll have to have a look at it and, and see if we can do that that would be uh, absolutely awesome if we could yeah and armando i i, I honestly i did try i, I brought two lucky dips the weekend before for the lottery and uh, to try and get you over for the day but you know unfortunately didn't come off yeah uh, what a what an amazing crowd I, I really wish i could have been there in it you know not that it was that long ago but it brought back memories and it was great to see 
on the YouTube feed um, names to face or faces to names that we see in the chat room all the time. Very cool. I, I got to admit, I, I, sh I shall not be trusted ever again because I had lunch with Steph right before she was about to board her flight um, to give her the, the remainder of my British pounds and a UK iPhone charger. So I actually did know she was on the way. <laughs> <laughs> Kept mm. that quiet. Well done. So uh, we're going to hand things over to you, Armando, to introduce uh, the next awesome uh, video segment uh, because uh, this is pretty damn good. Yeah, so if you remember from last week or last episode, um, I got the chance to do an interview with the uh, NOAA P3 crew and uh, Commander Khan, who was a, a, just a, a great representative. Um, so parked right next to them was the WC-130J uh, crew, otherwise known as the J crew. Um, also the, the hurricane hunters on the air force side. And, uh, I, before I play the video, there was a sheet of paper on the inside of the aircraft, right by the meteorologists, uh, station with every hurricane that this aircraft had flown in since 2004. And some of the names that I pulled off were hurricane Irene, Katrina, Ike, Matthew, um, there, there was just most some of the most memorable hurricanes that we've had in recent history this aircraft has flown and uh, until I got a chance to speak with uh, the crew I didn't know there was much of a difference between the Air Force mission and the NOAA P3 mission so um, yeah let's go ahead and play that out and see what they have to say all right all right guys I'm here with Lieutenant Colonel Ivan DeRoche right yes uh, sir what what outfit are you part of I'm part of the 403rd wing 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron, Keesler Air Force Base, Mississippi. Most people know us as the world famous hurricane hunter. I was, I was kind of joking with him saying he walks around with a bow and arrow just hunting hurricanes, yeah. right? Is that, now, there's, there can't be that many units that do hurricane hunting, right? Well, there's only one military unit. There yeah. used to be more squadrons when active duty shared the mission, but in 1993 it became an all Air Force Reserve mission. Okay. And then NOAA has their hurricane hunters. Uh, they do atmospheric research worldwide, year round, and they also go into hurricanes and their two P3s mm -hmm. for some research, but our main job is the active reconnaissance of storms that threaten the U.S. Okay, so that so that's the big difference between the P3 and the C-130 is you guys are getting real-time data or near real-time data near real time. from yeah. the storm. Yeah, everything that we collect uh, goes out on an average about every 10 minutes to the National Hurricane okay. Center, so it's fresh when it gets there. Yeah. Um, now, tell us a little bit, you, so you have the the MC-130, or this is a C-130J, WC-130J. Right? So what makes it different than any other C-130J is we retain the navigator because uh -huh. uh, we fly in bad weather. A guy primarily on the radar for safety of flights, big deal. And then uh, we put some weather equipment in the back, a couple smart dudes that know how to use that stuff, and it turns into a WC-130 instead of a C-130. <laughs> the weather pallets can yeah. be, the plane can be deconfigured in uh, about six to eight hours. Okay. Everything can roll off. And then it's a standard C-130J ready for whatever cargo missions out there. Okay. Now, how long have you guys been flying the J model for So they uh, showed WCs? up at Keesler in 1998, and that began the uh -huh. test of the J model program. And we started flying, I think it was 99 was the first test for the Hurricane. Okay, so it's been a while. Huh? And then uh, we went full up conversion from the H to the J when Katrina hit us in 2005. We were kind of using both planes for yeah. a, at that time. And then after Keesler got wiped out, and we just said, that's it, H models are gone. It's a J model game. Wow. 
So, did, did you notice a uh, pretty big, big big difference going from the H to the J model? There is Especially a big difference. Storm, right? uh, well, we don't have the flight engineer anymore. Mm -hmm. In the legacy airplane, it was all steam gauges and dials, a lot of stuff to monitor. You know, the flight engineer was focused on systems. Well, all that's maintained by the uh, mission computers now, and yeah. you get the ACOS warning systems like most modern airplanes. So the flight engineer's gone. We did retain the navigator for safety of flight and storms. Yeah. And then uh, the performance is totally different. Uh, there's, uh, engines are more powerful, of course. They're new, more modern. The, you know, the propeller uh, design changed from the old four-blade Hamilton standard mm -hmm. to the carbon fiber propeller, so they're much more efficient. And then the engine's obviously more, uh, more efficient and more powerful. So our cruise speed's yeah. about, about 30 knots faster, but the big difference is the fuel flow. We're getting that at about 1,500 pounds an hour less. Okay. So that's significant. So what's a typical either range or time frame that you're flying when you're doing a... So if we're going for endurance, going to hang out and fly as long as we can somewhere, you can get a little over 14 hours oh, uh, wow. with the externals. And uh, our typical hurricane mission is somewhere around 11, give or take hours. Okay. You know, it's, it's very common to see 12, 12 and a half. We uh, show two hours before. We brief. We do all our stuff, figure out where we're going, what we're doing. And then uh, our in route time plus our five to six hours loitering in the hurricane and back, wow. you know, it'll be a you know a twelve hour mission. So is that pretty pretty fatiguing? You're, so you're doing five six hours inside the storm. What is what's that like flying a C one thirty inside the storm? <laughs> <laughs> That's the tough part to explain, you know, because it's like all right, aviation guys, yeah. continuous light, occasional moderate, and occasion holy crap, <laughs> you know. Uh, um, so. It's obviously a lot of rain. Yeah. We do it at, we do, uh, we've, hurricane flights are done at 10,000 feet pressure. So it's their low pressure systems. The stronger they are, yeah. the deeper the pressure. So on the radar altimeter, our absolute altitude in a Cat 5 hurricane will be like 6,500 feet, even though the pressure altimeter is still saying 10. Goodness. But, you know, they, we fly standard weather altitudes. 9,900 happens to be one. Yeah. And we, we hang out at 10 because when we release the weather instruments through them, you know, the weatherman in the back wants it to fall through that standard altitude. So we stay 100 feet above. So do you notice, a, is there a pretty significant difference between, say, a Cat 3 or a Cat 5 flying a hurricane? Or is, or is a hurricane a hurricane and each one's got its own? They all got their own name and their own personality. Yeah. So uh, the things that really affect turbulence is any interaction with terrain. So when we're in the Caribbean, and, you know, we're at 10,000 feet pressure, but if you're flying something that's near Haiti where the mountains are 9,000 feet, you know, you get a lot of mechanical mountain wave type turbulence uh -huh. as a result of that. Uh, those are the things when you're downwind of the mountains, you really need to think about that because it will beat you up just like mountain wave turbulence and it can damage the plane. But typically, typically, it's sustained light for five to six hours some moderate you know the eye wall area the last 30 miles on your run in and your first 30 miles getting out of the eye that's the most intense thunderstorms it's the eye wall structure everybody's familiar yes. with that and that's the bumpiest well we're only in it for 10 minutes we're doing three miles a minute 180 knots indicated when we're flying the storm that's our rough airspeed and uh so 10 minutes of the moderate to occasional severe in the eye is clear you look up you'll see blue skies during the day you see stars at night yeah yep and then uh, back in it for another thick 10 minutes. Yeah. And then after that, it just depends on the banding of the storm and how physically large they are. Yeah. Uh, some hurricanes, you know, the average hurricane, uh, we fly 105 miles from our run-in into the center. 
and then 105 miles outbound okay. on the intercardinal heading. So we'll start northeast, go to southwest. We always make a left turn and take the tailwind to the other corner and come back and do it again. So we'll okay. do that four to five times in our mission profile. We're back in the center every hour and 30, 40 minutes, yeah. depending on how much tailwind you get on that crosswind leg. And um, most hurricanes, the hurricane force winds will go out maybe 50, 60, 70 miles. Okay. And then, you know, the TS winds drop off from there. Occasionally, you get a storm like Hurricane Katrina. Massive. The hurricane force winds went out 125 miles. The tropical storm winds went out 175 miles. Yeah. So all of our standard, hey, how we treat a storm and we fly it, all that had to change. So from a mission planning standpoint, are you getting that from satellite data, or are you literally just high-fiving with the crew before you to... The best intel is the guys that are just getting out of uh-huh. it, you know, the data from the last storm. So a typical profile, the Hurricane Hunter uh, aircraft are running six hours in the storm, six hours off, and six hours in the storm until it gets within 300 miles of U.S. coastline. And then the Hurricane Center wants us in there all the time. So. Okay. We'll fly six hours, and we're getting out, and the next guy's coming right in behind us. So until it makes landfall or turns away and it's no longer a threat, we're always in it when it's within 300 miles of the U.S. coast. Yeah. You guys have a weather officer on board, correct? Right. So the weather officer is an Air Force meteorologist by trait, and then they come to us, and uh, there's no school for it. You know, So our <laughs> squadron is the schoolhouse yeah. for the hurricane hunting. So. Whatever your crew position is, whatever mission training you need, it happens in-house. Yeah. And uh, weather officers are the tough ones because, you know, uh, pilots, you send them to Little Rock to go to, through C-130J yeah. school, and then they just come to Keesler and learn a little, about, little bit about risk mitigation and flying through bad weather, <laughs> and you get some on-the-job training in the hurricane, and then you're good. Well, the weather guy, it's totally different for them. You know, they're, uh, they're learning in the hurricane environment because... All the MET systems are usually a weather station somewhere yeah. on the ground. Where now you're in this moving thing, shaking, trying to take readings on screens that are, you know, yeah. vibrating and bouncing. So their job's different. I love that you just said that. The pilots come in, they learn how to fly in a hurricane. A couple weeks, they're good. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, literally, <laughs> literally, you know, most of the pilots uh, when they, they about 90 days for mission yeah. training. You know, and literally, that's just a couple weeks. Well, and, and uh, Colonel Ragusa was talking about, you know, there's no other replacement. There's no sim for flying how to, through no, a hurricane, right? No, like, there's not. You just got to get in there and, and do it, right? And the biggest thing is, you know, most pilots, you know, they, they pay attention to the radar to avoid weather. Mm-hmm. Well, we're paying attention to the radar with the nav to figure the softest spot to penetrate the weather the whole six hours. You yeah. know? Most people are like, oh, I might have to cross a line, find the soft spot, or I might turn around and go the other way, deviate and go yeah. around it. Well, that doesn't work for us, Yeah. You know? That's that's amazing. So, and, and you guys are probably flying with a relief. So a relief, a relief pilot also, right? Uh, we do our best. That's one yeah. of our that's one of our risk mitigators. Yeah. As we try to take a third pilot, so you can rotate through the seats yeah. and get some rest. But I mean, Air Force rules: we can have two pilots on a 16-hour crew day. Yeah. And as long as both autopilots are Standard mobility rules. Yeah, standard mobility rules. So, yep. so you brought in uh, some of the risk management. What are some of the risks, uh, either through mission planning, what, what are the, those real risks that are, you know, to the crew, to the airplane when you're flying in a storm? Okay, uh, well, lightning's a big one. We do okay. get struck by lightning on occasion. The toughest part about lightning is uh, seeing a signature on a radar. You don't have one. 
You yeah. know, a lot of the eyeballs are used. Tough to see it in the day when you're IMC all the time. Nighttime, when you're making a run in on an active eye wall, it's just, it's like strobe lights. It's just yeah. lightening up. You just know it's there. Lightning's a big one. The eye wall structure itself, you're going to have to ask one of the weather scientists, but, you know, there's vortices inside the eye wall similar to a small yeah. tornado, and they present as a hook echo. So obviously, you know, we're paying particular attention to make sure we avoid anything like that. Uh, and when a storm is dying, it's, it's some of its uh, most turbulent features in the eye wall, especially when it's getting filled in with dry air. The weather guys call it dry air entrainment when dry air is coming in and killing the hurricane. Yeah. That's when it's some of its uh, most turbulent times in the eye wall is when it's dying like that. That's amazing. Yeah. Inside, we were, we were taking the tour, and it looks surprisingly like any other C-130, like a slick C-130, except for those two stations up front. It's exactly like yeah. every other C-130J, except those roll-on stations. Yeah. They bolt to the floor, and you hook up the cable into the junction boxes on the side of the airplane, and now it's a WC. And, he does, and the loadmaster does get to shoot up. He does. Shoot so, a cannon, right? So they go through <laughs> the loadmaster training like any other uh, C-130 loadmaster. Yeah. And then uh, we do in-house training. They get trained to basically a basic op weather observer yeah. level. And uh, they drop the drops on, so they need yeah. to understand the weather code and whether or not it's good data that's coming back to the aircraft and, yeah. and how to QC it and uh, eliminate something that's really an erroneous data from the data stream. That's great. So if somebody wanted to get involved, so you said it's, it's essentially a reserve it's, it's a reserve all unit, reserve, right? Air Force Reserve. Yeah. So, if somebody wanted to get involved, would they? Well, first of all, where would they go to find that? Probably just Google Air Force Reserve Hurricane Hunter. Air Force right? Reserve. See, so we're military, so yeah. you're going to have to deal with recruiters. Yeah. If you're coming in off the street, you're dealing with recruiters. If you're in the Air Force, then there's way to ways to be gained by uh -huh. another Air Force Reserve unit, whether you're transferring from active duty or guard or reserve. You know, guys inside don't yeah. know how to get to your unit. But outside, you're dealing with a recruiter, and because we're a small, special mission, yeah. uh, we also interview. I mean, people need to understand what they're getting into. I mean, it's not a job for everybody. Well, I mean, off the top of my head, it's, it, the only two special mission C-130 units I can really think of is you guys and the, the guys out of New York with the skis, right? Like, well, yeah, well, there's actually yeah. a couple more. There's guys that fly the firefighting missions, the Colorado Springs Air Force Reserve C-130s. Okay. They're a special mission. They do mass, the uh, aerial firefighting. And the guys up in Youngstown, another Air Force Reserve unit, do the aerial spray yeah. for uh, spray, like when they had the oil spill, spraying the things to yeah. dissolve the oil and stuff in the Gulf. They do aerial spray missions. So those are also Air Force Reserve special missions. And that, that's exactly what, why we do this sort of podcast. Is um, you know, I, I think every month I discover this this new niche, this new corner of aviation where you go, man, that would be so cool to do that, huh? Yeah, this is definitely different. Yeah. You know the did Colonel Ragusa tell you how it started? No. Okay. So in 1944, uh, U.S. Army Air Corps guys are training Brits how to fly. You know, they're doing their basic pilot training during World War II down in South Texas. And there was a hurricane out in the Gulf. And the Brit pilot told Joe Duckworth, the Army Air Corps pilot, hey, I bet you can't fly that little T-6 Texan into that hurricane out there. And Joe Duckworth said, hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> and that's how Hurricane Hunt was born. He and his navigator went out. They flew through the hurricane. They got into the middle of it. And they came back and they told the base weather guy about it. He's like, no kidding, really? And they took the weather guy <laughs> oh for goodness. a ride. A little T-6 Texan, you know, a single-engine trainer. Yeah. And uh, they came back, and that's the birth of hurricane hunting. That's amazing. Yeah. 
Well, I, I'll tell you what, we, we always finish uh, each interview with one question, and that is, if money was no object, okay, and you could fly any airplane in the world, past or present or future, what would that airplane be? You know, when I was a kid, it was always the Blackbird. You had to watch yeah. the SR-71. It was really cool, you know. And uh, I think that'd probably be the one. Yeah. I don't know. P-51 Mustang's pretty cool, too, be pretty if you're cool. nostalgic. Yeah, there's a couple around here in uh, in the Charlotte area, P-51s, and every time, you know, I'm trying to hand my card over there, see if I can get it. SR-71 Blackbird, yeah, you know, amazing cool. choice. And I, I know there was just recently some articles about F-117s coming back, and they're still using them, so maybe there's still a shot. Maybe a shot. Who yeah. knows? Awesome, sir. Yeah. I appreciate the time. Oh, Thank you, you so much. Anytime. Well done, Armando. All right, guys, I'm here with Lieutenant Colonel Ivan Durant. playing it again. Is that, is that good he's playing mm. it again? No, well done, yeah, Armando. Great, cool. uh, great quality audio and visuals. Yeah, apologies to Nev once again for my cable management. Once we, I'll, I'll keep saying it every week. Once we get that wireless microphone kit, you know, we'll, we'll work on that. Yeah, I was being a bit mean there, wasn't I? But uh, <laughs> no, what a what a great job you did there, and uh, what an interesting story, isn't it? About uh, about the aircraft and uh, Neil Lamwell was saying in, in the chat room actually he says that the uh, the duty time is very surprising especially in such a harsh environment and uh, yeah I, I must admit that sounds uh, quite grueling doesn't it Yeah I was actually surprised by that myself when he was talking about uh, fourteen and sixteen hour crew days because I've watched some of the videos of those guys flying and I mean they are I think it was the last uh, the P three pilot who said you're wrestling an alligator right I mean um that that's uh pretty impressive and well i was thinking even watching it back you know we we've talked a couple times about have you seen the northern lights from an aircraft well can you imagine how how few people have flown into the eye of a hurricane looked up and seen stars in the middle of the night oh. yeah some of that footage that um that you had on last week's show and that you know from inside the actual hurricane itself it's just one of those things as you said unless you see it on a video which like last week's show you, you know that's one of those things you're not going to get to see as a as a, a you know a run-of-the-mill pilot commercial pilot or, or whatever because it, you just wouldn't fly into that kind of situation yeah right i mean there's a that <laughs> it's kind of a joke i can imagine a fighter pilot coming to a, a mobility pilot and saying, hey, you know, look everything I can do. And he's doing barrel rolls and circles and, you know, loops and all that stuff. And, and a C-130 pilot going, yeah, well, have you thrown, flown through the eye of a hurricane? Yep, just going back to the chat room again. Uh, uh, Captain Jeff has uh, joined us in the chat room. Hello to you, Captain Jeff. Uh, he's put, uh, oh, he's put some bits on there. When he was in the MAC, what's that stand for, Armando? Come on, help me. That was a military airlift command back in the oh, day. Right. Now called, now called AMC. Yeah, he believes it was sixteen for two pilots, twenty-four for three. Long days. Yeah, definitely long days. But uh, Neil Lamborn says there must be an awesome coffee table book in hurricane hunting. <laughs> well, maybe we can suggest that. Uh, over to Nick at APG to do a plane tale on them because I, I I love that. The, how he said the beginning of this was the relationship between the U.S. and the U.K. once again pops up, you know, in, in the 1950s and and uh, flying a T-6 into a hurricane. So uh, maybe we'll we'll shoot that over to 
uh, to Liz over at APG. So what have you got uh, planned for us uh, next in Armando? You know, you've obviously had the last two awesome segments you took there. Any more um, kind of bits coming up soon that you can let tell us about? Well, so nothing uh, official yet. Uh, however, I will be heading out to Reno uh, <gasps> Air Races for the Pylon Racing School here on 1 June. So I'll be uh, out there as uh, on the ramp staff, so kind of as an assistant ramp boss um, in one of the sport in the sport class, which is the biggest class. Um, but why I bring that up is, is the, the pilots and the crews that come out to Reno are some of the most amazing people with the most amazing aviation stories. Um, so I, I will have my whole little Pelican case with the podcast kit podcast kit and, uh, hopefully Ooh. get some good interviews out there with, with wow. those guys. Looking forward to that, Nev, aren't you? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Thank you. So, Nev, while you're there, you can uh, introduce uh, the uh, next part uh, segment for the show. Yeah, because we had so many people turn up to our meeting, which was, I think, about 35, something like that, which was uh, superb at Duxford. So we've actually put this into two parts. Uh, so here is uh, part two of our chat with our listeners. My name is Javed. Uh, we've flown in from Thruxton this morning. Fantastic. Yeah, so, son and I. <laughs> so, now, Thruxton, remind me whereabouts that is? Uh, Hampshire. It was the west-ish. Okay. Yeah. Uh, your flight time here, roughly, how long? About an hour. Just, just under. Very cool. So, and you're flying today in a? Uh, DB9. <laughs> what is that the Aston Martin? Not a DB9, <laughs> yeah. Lots of controllers get confused. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, need I to can tell imagine. Them, yeah, this one has wings. <laughs> Mind you, the speed these things fly, the, the, they go down the road. Uh, so, uh, so, so, who makes the DB the DB9? Uh, uh, Sakata DB9 Tango Bravo 9. Right, yeah, very cool. It's a French aeroplane. Ah, they don't make them anymore, unfortunately. Oh wow, what a big wow! Uh, what? We, we need to have a look at this plane. This is this is quite exciting. Now you brought a little friend with you as well, I noticed. Yes. So, what's your name? Dion. Can we see? It? What's your name? Dear, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Do you yeah. like flying? Do you like being in the aeroplane? He, he absolutely loves it. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't take it much to you know for him to twist my arm and yeah, he says, Daddy, let's go flying and we're in the air. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for, uh, for coming here. We're just going to grab Nick, I think, if I may. Uh, Nick, before we... <laughs> Hello. I'm only getting my own back. Oh, <laughs> now you have something very interesting in your hand there, actually, don't you? I, I do. Uh, Adam has just given me a uh, notice uh, from Heathrow, which is entitled the Withdrawal of Anderson Procedure. Uh, and apparently it's, it's a special notice issued in the tower there, uh, which uh, means that all the procedures they apparently put in place when I was flying from Heathrow right. are now okay. no longer effective. Right, okay, um, suddenly the skies are a safer place. Then, well, for example, <laughs> they'll, they're going to put the ATIS, uh, which they used to issue every five minutes when I was in the air, is now we're going to be back for its normal length of every 90 minutes. Good, right. Um, uh, controllers are made aware of estimated off-block time and call sign of the Anderson flight, so they can all presumably prepare. It's just... I'm going to have to look at this in detail. Right, okay. Because I don't want to... Uh, you, you had no idea that you were causing so much trouble every time you arrived at Heathrow. Uh, no. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm rather pleased now that they won't have quite so much work to do. And right, they can, yeah. they can go the man back hours to, that have been saved. Yeah, well, they, <laughs> they can go back to sitting back in their chairs with their feet on the console <laughs> now and uh, drinking tea 
yeah. and uh, occasionally issuing clearance. Uh, yeah. <laughs> As when they feel like it, yes, yeah. of course. Well, uh, we'll, we'll speak to the man himself, if, if that's okay. So, uh, hello, Adam. You hello, are Matt. responsible you? for said procedures. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. I found it lying in the office the other day. So Just kicking around. around. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <coughs> and so, and, and they, they presumably can now be, you know, filed. Uh, yes, a lot yeah. of our workload has disappeared. <laughs> yes, very much so. What is this allocated a stand? If possible, stand allocated to Anderson flight is occupied by another aircraft. Yeah? What? Well, we don't have to do that anymore, do we? I get the sneaking suspicion that a beautiful friendship has come to a terrible... I've, I've framed a copy. It's in my car. I've framed a copy. I'll give it to you later. Right, good. Lovely. Uh, anyway, uh, Adam, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you flew here? Yes, I was in economy in Pip's uh, Cherokee. In economy? Or, what, yes. was the, what was the in-flight so meal like? Disappointing. Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, drink um, service? Non-existent. Wow. Um, okay. How so almost like fly with British Airways, but you know. <laughs> they're shaking his head horribly behind us. Uh, the, um, so roughly how long was the flight? Uh, about 45 minutes, I think. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. And how did he do? Uh, yeah, they both did very well. They both did there very was, well. There was some good CRM going on in the <laughs> cockpit. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it was good. Fantastic. Now, now you, come, now you well. come here quite quite regularly. Yes. Because I mean, yep. we, we were here with, uh, well, ironically, Dr. Smith, yes. yeah, who yeah, is yeah. also here ago, uh, a few weeks ago. Yep. Uh, yep. What, um, uh, for you, what's what's the thing that's so amazing about Duxford? I, I think for me it's it's the atmosphere. Um, you know, looking around, we've still got the old, you know, hangars here. And wandering around, you can walk along all the, the old buildings, the old ops room, um, the, the sort of the sector control room of the Battle of Britain that was here. Um, and, and for me, it's, it's actually the, that film, the Battle of Britain, was it 1969? That was filmed a lot around this airfield. So it's, um, yeah, it's just that sense of history that you get from walking around. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, we're looking forward <coughs> to having a good nose round later. Mm. Anyway, I'm mm. sure we'll catch up with everybody later. Yes, no Just doubt. Just going to go very quickly over to, to uh, a couple more people I want to grab if we can. Um, hello, sir. What's your name and where are you from? Um, my name's Chris, and I'm a bit surprised to be suddenly approached by a person in a plain talking podcast shirt, but I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll try and gather myself we, together. We, we arrive in stealth mode. That, this, is, this is the thing, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, what, uh, what brings you to Duxford? Well, it's obviously here for the uh, for the gathering and the get and the get together, fantastic. and the, and of course the fantastic weather which we arranged for. I know, absolutely. As, as, as I was saying to Nick earlier, you know, I've been doing a lot of praying this week in the hope that we <laughs> might have some decent weather for it. Uh, now, I, I, I remember, I think the very first time you and I met was actually was Farnborough a couple of years ago now, it was. Um, and you took some amazing photographs of of, of the little panel uh, thing that we did. Have Thank I got you. that yeah, correct? Yeah, you have, and we've also got some photographs of um, Alan, Steph, you know, deeply involved in their in their chicken nugget. Indeed, uh, and there, there's more possibly about that later. Cause, oh, well, where, where we realise that, of course, there is a McDonald's just up the road, and I do feel that if we've got these people in the same room, uh, that we can't really miss an opportunity like that. I think absolutely. Uh, so we're sort of frightened the locals. But uh, now you've a long-suffering wife next door. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, <laughs> I don't know about long-suffering. <laughs> so, do you have any interest in aviation yes, at I all? Yes, I do. I, li I even like the smell of aviation fuel. It's there is something about it here, isn't it? Yeah. Have you guys been to uh, Duxford before? A long time ago. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, what is it that you think that makes that, that makes Duxford such a special place? Well, the weather today. I mean, well, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, for me, as I said, like we were saying earlier, actually, because it's a working airfield, isn't yes. it? You get the that uh, the, the smell of the aviation fuel, as you were saying. It's just, just fantastic. Yes, well, thank you very much for coming along. I'm Rob from Ealing, West London. 
and uh, spotted the invite on Slack. Decided it had to be here. Great opportunity. Yeah. Well, and of course, a big surprise, obviously, as a big APG fan, of course, to have Dr. Steph here as well. We all knew Nick was going to be here, um, but Steph to arrive. So that, an added bonus, no doubt. Yeah, very much so. Uh, so your your uh, passion for aviation, where where has that come from? Just from about the age of six, my first flight. I absolutely loved it since then. Um, I've done a little bit of flying out of Wickham at Booker. And, what, um, what sort of craft, like Cessnas uh, and things? 172s, 152s, yeah. So, uh, not so much in the last sort of three or four years, but I don't think you ever lose the passion for it, really. It's just fantastic. Uh, I, I haven't asked anybody this question yet, and, and, and you've made the only opportunity I get to do, to do so with you. If, you're, if you could have the choice to fly any aircraft that, that exists, whether retired or, or still in the air, if you could get behind the controls of one aircraft, what would be your dream? piece of kit? Uh, 747. Really? Oh, the Queen of the Skies? Because yeah. always, growing up, watching them depart out over West London, and they just look so graceful. Uh, they still Absolutely do. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, yeah, for uh, me, always be that. An way. excellent choice. Well, great to meet you. Thank you. Right. Hello, sir. What's your Hi. name, and where, where are you from? I'm uh, Steve. I'm English, but I'm from Norway. Well, living, lived in Norway for 40 years. What on earth has possessed you to come and live here? <laughs> no, I don't live here. Oh, I live no, in Norway. Yeah. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, whereabouts in Norway? Stavanger, West Coast. Very cool. Uh, so, what, what is it about the uh, Norway that sort of brought you brought you away from here? <laughs> um, ABBA. Right. Played a, played a part. <laughs> I can't lie. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, also the the, uh, the language schools that they used to have. Where I used to come from, I come from Paul in Dorset. Okay. And the language schools, they just sound like a cool place to be. A lot cooler than Paul in 1976. <laughs> well, there is that. What's your um, uh, your, your passion for aviation, where did it come from? Uh, I was in the ATC when I was 14, 15, I suppose. I just said, these guys, the first time I ever went, I le ever left the ground was in a glider. And the second time was in a chipmunk. So, uh, that, and then was an airliner. I'd never been in an airliner before that, so try telling the kids of today that, eh? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's not a, it's not a consuming passion, but it's uh, something which I've followed up through the years. I just love looking up at the sky, watching planes, that's about it. I think there's a lot of people here that, that share, yeah. share your, your love of that. Neil, hello. hello, how are you? Not too bad. Jolly good. Now, now where, where have you come from today? I come from rugby today. Right, OK. Yes, uh, roughly how long is your journey? Uh, about an hour and a half, not too bad. Not bad at all. Now, uh, got to ask, how, how is the project? Uh, coming along, painting, as usual. Painting is it like the fourth bridge where you basically never stop painting it? It's worse. <laughs> they don't have to raise their own money. <laughs> ah, right, yes, no, well played. Uh, so, uh, have you been to Duxford before? This is the first time I've actually come on a non-show day. Okay. So it's, it's interesting to see it without as massive crowds and, you know, you can get a little bit closer. It's very chilled out as well, isn't it? Is, it? Yeah. yeah. Much, much nicer. Okay, moving on then. Now, uh, this gentleman I vaguely recognise. Yes, uh, there's, a, there's a definite family resemblance going on here. So, uh, what's your name, sir, and where are you from? Well, I'm Dave, and I'm from Buckinghamshire. <laughs> right, now, Buckinghamshire, that's very near somebody else I know. Yes, quite, quite close. <laughs> Not too far away. Absolutely. Could that be, are you possibly in some way related to Nev? I don't like to say that I am, but, you know, possibly am, yes. Right. Could you possibly be a son? Maybe. Right. Okay. Can't give anything away. No, fair enough. So, now, uh, do you have any... Obviously, Nev has a massive uh, love of aviation. Do you have much interest in it at all? I just have an interest in kind of engineering kind of things, really. Engines, okay. machinery, planes is one of those things, really. So, uh, let's go down that engine yeah. route, then. If, if, if you could pick uh, your favourite lump... 
uh, engine. I mean, what? I don't know if I could even go that way. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, what, I mean, if you hear the engine, like the noise. I mean, for me personally, yeah. if I hear a Merlin engine, I mean, I get goosebumps because. Just any kind of huge rumble of an engine, which gives you anything, which gives you goosebumps. You know, right. so if it sounds loud enough, it will give you that. So it could be a Volvo B10M if there isn't an exhaust on it. it could for be example. anything. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, yes. just yeah. a general combustion. So uh, you, you, uh, you, what's brought you here today? Well, just uh, Dad, really. Um, I wasn't going to come up, but I thought it's such a nice day. It'd be a, be a shame not to come up here, really, and to experience Duxford, because I've never been here. You've never so. been here before? No, I've never okay. been here. So yeah. be, uh, uh, what, first impressions, then? What, what do you make? What do you think? It's huge. It is huge. Oh, I didn't actually quite realise how big it was. Um, I was thinking just maybe one small hanger or a medium-sized hanger, um, but it turns out there's a lot more than that, and there's a live airfield as well. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Do you know that's the thing with, during our chat here that's become quite clear is it's actually so nice to be at a museum with an active airfield. Yeah, it gives yeah. it something. You get that feel, don't you? Of it's, yeah. it's still an airfield at the end of the day. It's still got aviation thrown through it. It's, it's, it's not just dying away. Really. No, it sort of somehow feels quite live. Yeah, yeah, yeah very, absolutely. Very so, uh, Fabian, hello. How are Hi, you? Matt, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you, mate. How are you? So you you arrived at Heathrow when? Uh, this morning at 7.05. Okay, cool. And you flew in from home? Yes, from Düsseldorf. Very cool. Uh, now, as you say, you had an unusual lift uh, yes, here because yes. your transport from Heathrow to here was a certain Dr. Steph. Yes, that's true. So you were literally about one of three people who knew that she was coming. That's true, yes. <laughs> so it's good to know. You're very good at keeping a secret. That's great news. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, have, now, have you been to Duxford before? No, I've not, no. Okay, what, what, what are your first impressions? Um, first impressions, I saw a few aircraft down there which looked quite interesting. One in the Monarch livery and I think a VC-10 and BOAC livery. Looking forward to checking that out further, yes. We had food first, of course, because... Yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, I mean, Al hadn't eaten for like an hour and was getting quite yes, stressed, yes, wasn't yes, he? Yes, so, yes, yes. absolutely. Uh, there's, um, uh, do you have much love for like, uh, like the military side of things? Um, I'm not too into military, but uh, it interests me a little, yes. Yeah. Uh, but my knowledge in military aviation is not too big. Fair enough. Uh, so, when, when are you flying back? Uh, tomorrow at midday. Okay. So, you flew here with which airline? Eurowings. Eurowings. I'm going back with Eurowings. Yes, yes, yes. Very good. Well, uh, I think that uh, more or less concludes our little chap. And, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you later. It's safe to say that um, we, we thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. And, um, yeah, I think um, we're definitely going to have to do this again next year, Nev, without question. Yes, looking forward to that. And if we can get the weather <clears throat> as well, then uh, so much the better. Uh, so we'll be uh, playing out some more interviews and some chats that we have over the next few weeks. Uh, that we did at Duxford as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. But, uh, yeah, it was a great day. And thanks to everybody for making it so special. Now, Nev, during the visit that we had at Duxford, there was um, a kind of, uh, I say, special event, but one that doesn't happen all that often. Uh, which we all witnessed uh, inside one of the hangars, wasn't there? Yes, there was. And um, we'll be playing that out probably uh, next week, actually. It's, um, the, they've uh, got all the hydraulics working and everything for the Concord nose and visor. So uh, there was, we did a, a special piece with uh, Adam Spink about that. So we'll be playing that out next week. And uh, yeah, it was really interesting to uh, hear the story about how all that works and, and why they needed to do it. So that was, uh, that was really good. So uh, yeah, looking forward to that. 
Yes, so as Nev said, loads more to come from Duxford, uh, loads more pieces to come. There's also uh, uh, a lot of pictures. If you want to find uh, or take yourselves over to, if you've got our Facebook page, you could find on there, there's uh, a lot of the pictures that were taken during the day on the Facebook page. So take yourselves over there. If you can, have a look on there. So uh, Armando, do you think uh, we can book you in for next next year's event? You never know. I, I would love to go back out to Duxford, and, and I, I think I've told you guys before, Megan has only been to the UK in winter, so I would love to take her out in uh, summertime, especially if you have that kind of weather. Well, I'll prep the guest room now then. Ready. There we go. Excellent. So we are going to start to wrap the show up now then, but uh, we are going to say a big thanks again to uh, Armando for bringing us the awesome segment uh, with the WC130J. Thanks for that, Armando. And, of course, we're going to say a big thanks as well to Nev for all his awesome videography skills uh, on our Duxford visit. So thanks to you, Nev, for your skills. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Great. Um, well, so we're going to be uh, live again next Friday. Uh, we hopefully next Friday we'll be live. Hopefully Matt will be back with us in the uh, PTUK studios as well next week. He's... Uh, Busy, I would imagine by now he's uh, uh, probably not drunk because Matt, as we all know, never drinks. He has one, two alcoholic uh, beverages, and uh, and that's about it, I think, for Matt. And uh, but uh, he's, uh, I think, uh, he's enjoying himself at the wedding that he's at this evening. So uh, hope to see Matt again next week on the show. So what are we doing next week, guys? Any exciting things planned for next week, Nev? What's uh, what's on the cards for you next week? Um, a couple of uh, secret things that I can't tell you about at the moment, um, but all may be, uh, be revealed uh, later in the week. Um, but uh, yes, not, not too much travelling this week, I'm pleased to say, so uh, that'll be a nice change. So yeah. Armando, any, uh, any exciting things planned for you next week? No, not a whole lot. I'll probably get a, a flight or two in, and uh, other than that, it's some garage shelving to build and uh, PTUK next week. That's the only things on my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got three days in the truck next week, so I'm looking forward to that. Actually, big uh, oh, hello nice. to my boss, Stuart. He's uh, watching the show, so hello to you, Stuart. Uh, see, he's been uh, watching. He, he very much enjoyed the last segment that we played because uh, he missed Duxford. He was going to come, but he couldn't make it. So uh, hello to you, Stuart. And, uh, yeah, it... Uh, Look out for next week's show when we play some more of those bits. But uh, yeah, so we're going to say a big thanks to everyone in the YouTube chat room who have joined us this evening on the live show, and not all, also forgetting the uh, people who download us every week via the audio shows via iTunes and Stitcher and Podbean and uh, all the other podcasty type download apps that we use on our mobile devices. So uh, yeah. That's it. That's where we are going to start. Or oh, we're going to wrap up episode 269 of the show. Anything else, guys, before we uh, hit the... No, I, I don't think so. Uh, although we were going to... Um, we're looking forward to doing our 300th show, uh, obviously. Um, but we could do with some ideas about where we might uh, want to hold that. So uh, if anyone's got any suggestions, uh, either stick those in the, in the chat room uh, or send them to us at... Uh, 
podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and we will have a look at it for consideration. We've uh, come up with a number of suggestions so far, most of which uh, are well outside our area of affordability. Yes. But um, let's see how we get on. And uh, yeah, we're looking for some suggestions. So uh, so you've got uh, 31 shows to uh, to come up with a solution <laughs> for us. So uh, let's see how we get on. Oh, and don't and bear in mind as well, guys and girls, that our 300th show will be in the January time. So it'll be a bit um, chilly. So outside OBs, Nev, probably not such a good idea. Uh, well, no, but um, we'll we'll see how we get on. If we, if we can get to the right place <laughs> and uh, we, we can get it for free or, or not much cost, then we'll see how we get on. Yeah. So that's it then, guys and girls. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend, whatever you're doing across the globe. Thanks for watching. Take care. And uh, from me, Carlos, here in the PTUK studios, it's goodbye. See you. Bye. Bye, guys. Have a nice week. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. <laughs>